thoughts, we can turn on the stress response just by thought alone. We can think about our problems and turn on those chemicals. That means then our thoughts could make us sick. So if it's possible that our thoughts could make us sick, is it possible then our thoughts could make us well? The answer is absolutely yes. You're listening to the Weekly Call Podcast with Austin, Hammer, and John. Welcome. It's enormously important that you do have the right friends. If they make you a better person than you otherwise would be, that's the ultimate gift. It deals for the most part with success. It deals with people who you started your life off with and what success does to them. People look at you strange saying you changed, like you worked that hard to stay the same, like you're doing all this for a reason. Remind yourself, this fight that you're in, this is what will make you stronger. Austin, can you hear me? Yes. John, can you hear me? Always. Gabe, can you hear me? Yes. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Weekly Call. We've got myself, Austin, in Elmer, Quebec, John in Kelowna, BC, Amher in Toronto, Ontario, and Gabe in... Damn, I don't know. Uh, Lac Désert, Quebec, Gra- baby. Grand Remou, Quebec, wherever that would be. Yeah, that? exactly. Grand, yeah. That'd be the closest, closest town. Closest right? town would be that, yeah. yeah. Grand Remou. I'm curious to know how many <laughs> listeners would know where G- Grand Remou is. I would say two, probably us. Um, yeah, it may probably be, a good maybe thing. a couple of the Quebecers. Probably a good thing. <laughs> Dude, what, what are you talking about? It's the Paris Grand of Remu. Quebec, man. Like, if, you, know, you Googled Grand Remou Quebec. Uh, the actually, can, hold on. Can Amber even spell that's it? That's actually Amber the spell limit of Grand how Remu. much this podcast is allowed to talk about Quebec. Right there. Yeah, we just hit it right Yo, there. Yo, the population is 1,168. <laughs> they're just lost. They're just lost <laughs> in the just... forest. They don't live there. They're trying to get out. Dude. Yeah, they're currently trying to figure out where they are. <laughs> Damn, why not 1169, eh? <laughs> just need one more person. Yeah, that's you, you right now, bro. You're there. You're 1169. Yeah. Uh, exactly. In, 20, in 2016, Kia Motors had 6,000 nine plants across the world in 2016 uh, kia had what six thousand sixty-nine dealerships across six thousand sixty-nine dealerships wow yeah by the way john i do have some bad news when you chew oh, yeah. when you chew on the mic and you don't <laughs> mute mute the yeti it just sounds like pure asmr like right now because zoom does an excellent job of muting that when I go edit it, all I hear is like, just like maximized. And sometimes I will edit big portions where you're not talking, but just chewing. But if you can just click that mute button when you're on the Yeti, I mean. So for all chewing. the new listeners, um, we're still learning how to do this whole podcast thing thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's because it's the audio quality on the local recording that we do separately is way higher quality. What was higher higher gain? Because people were saying, "Oh, John's voice is too low." So I increased it. So he increased it, but he his chewing habit is also there. So now we just hear him chewing louder. And also, last week (laughs) I think uh, someone in our Patreon group said that it sounded like there was a chair creaking, but I think it was actually just Gabe's cat. Possibly, Uh, I'm not sure. But Gabe, you also have a habit of just keeping your mic hot while doing that. Hot mic. Uh, 
gonna get canceled. Gonna hop, damn, got caught on that. Got caught on that hot mic shit. So, uh, how was your guys' time in Vegas? Yo, Amber, um, can you go through that list was, that you he, were gonna was, share? It was hedonic, basically. Oh, dude, but, it was uh, a hedonic boy time for sure. But probably the the Vegas trip started with me when I met Austin at the airport because for the first time I started realizing Austin, <laughs> you you have odd habits that I'm like very excited. I've been taking notes of your behavior to just share with you as a case for mindfulness. And I'm building like, I built this little file. I'm just going to present you the facts and you can either like, no, Amber, you misunderstood me or nothing else. Or you might say, okay, you know what? These are factual statements that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm open to taking a look at. I'm down. Yeah, so, I'm very down. I, so I think that there is a, I'm very down. I think that I wanted to, I want to maybe, uh, not have this be like a plaintiff defendant types conversation because i i am also quite i'm I'm also very open to uh practicing more mindfulness and i and i want to okay okay cool do you want to know what these impacts were impacts or what the there were a couple of impacts on me it was just kind of it was it was it was interesting there were a couple of things that just like i'm gonna sit back as a friend i can just kind of give you a tap on the shoulder be like hey man just notice these things i may be looking too deep and if i am just tell me i could just cut it but i i I didn't want to share a couple of things for sure when we were walking in the airport you just we we were like having a conversation and then completely randomly you stopped having the conversation and walked the complete other direction (laughs) i swear (laughs) to god we were in front of the store in what airport the first airport where we're sitting you had a phone call with gabe and we walked by like the store and i wanted to grab some snacks and you're like oh yeah look at these snacks and i'm like looking at the store i'm like oh i'm I'm thinking maybe grabbing like a cliff bar or something and then i turn and you were gone. You just kept walking towards our gate. <laughs> Is this when we were walking towards? We were like... looking for our gate and you found the sign that said where our gate was. And then you just walked towards it, exiting our conversation. Okay. Yeah. So maybe, maybe that is worth clarifying because we were going to miss our plane. Like, no, we weren't. We were yeah, together. Dude, we were like the last three people on the plane. We literally got to the check-in desk and the, and the lady was like, where were you? We've been looking for you. You needed to validate your I passport. I do agree that emotionally, it was probably was like, it, well, she wasn't like that. But I do agree that emotionally, it was kind of like a bit more pressure than usual. Okay, wh- where my brain it. went is like, I if I it. get to the gate, this is hilarious. If, if I get to the gate, Amber can fuck around and get his cliff bar all day long. I'm just going to tell the stewardess being like, yo, there's a guy like two minutes behind but Austin, me. Needs you to can make just flight. say to me, yo, Amber, go get your thing. I'm just going to go to the gate. No, you're right. You're right. He just left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't know yeah. what that was, but that was just interesting. Um, And Fair. then... Yeah. And then um, I offered Austin. So Austin and I were talking about like um, uh, just something relating to his business. And I was like, yo, I think I have like the ultimate solution. I can like build this for you if you want me to. And I think it'll be kind of fun for us to work on this on the plane. And then Austin was like, yeah, let's do it. So we get on the plane and 
I start working on these, uh, on this thing. And it's like for his business. And then as I'm working on it, Austin, you just started listening to music and doing your own thing instead of like collaborating. Be like, Oh, why, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I was just like, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you I were, guess. you were like, let me, like, I, I can do this thing for you. Like, let me summarize that. Like, I think you just made your own point there. Yeah, I guess that's, a, yeah, maybe, but I guess uh, it was just like, oh man, but. Well, the way that you were presenting me on this thing, the way that you were presenting me on this thing is that yeah. I had never done anything in that realm before, like the way you had articulated this document. Mm. And so to me, this was all very new. And when you like, you like took my laptop and like put it in front of you and started typing, I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Well, seems like you're just getting to work on this. So I'm just going to like put an earphone oh. in and like listen to music. Fair enough. Yeah. But I do see where you're coming from though. And I, and I, and I, by the way, I have since getting back worked on that. It's sick. It's a cool idea. Right? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And then just on the plane, there was like a five minute sequence <laughs> where you were just like, um, what's the best word? You 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 just went primal, where all you did was just did what you felt. So like you like picked up your phone, you checked Snap, you like replied to a Snap, and we're just sitting down. I'm like just sitting there like kind of thinking. You picked up your phone, you like went on Snap, did a thing on Instagram, and then sent is this while we're in the before. air? Um, I can't. No. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. It was it was still in the beginning where like you and I were just kind of like chatting a bit, right? And, and then. Yeah, I have it here. I think written down. Yeah, you 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 went to Snapchat for a pic, and then you posted IG story, and then you checked your messages. Then you opened up an RX bar, took a bite, put it back on the front, and then uh, halfway through our conversation, you like jumped into what's up, John? This is just so random. I know. I know. <laughs> I, know. I don't know. And yeah, I think this is getting too random, but. I felt there's like a couple of moments where you're just like, just kind of going. I was just like, oh. Yeah, like kind of, a, I had like squirrel brain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's yeah. that's basically the short, the short. Yeah, term. like I, I kind of realized when I was uh, at the airport and kind of like getting into the mental space of going to Vegas for a bachelor party. Because I had so much on the go for work, like uh, things going on, business running, etc. I had worked really hard to set up a structure that I didn't need to like monitor very very oh. closely and so mentally i was like prepared to just check out <laughs> for four days and then amber comes to the airport he's like bro let's fucking get to work on this thing man i'm like yo i'm not gonna say no because when do i get to sit next to amber for five hours and and do these things you know it's true um but but mentally i definitely had already you know checked out for it, sure. it was just funny yeah. i'm basically saying it, it, this is more of a humorous bit than it no is, you're right but... But the like, walking like the, the another way thing, in the airport things actually jokes because well, that is a perfect there were two example. Other like, I never told you that. Yeah. There's two other instances where like you asked me a question and I was like thinking about the answer and then you just got up to use the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> and we were halfway through a conversation and then you immediately uh, just started yeah. talking about like Adel because for whatever reason like you were kind of thinking about it because maybe you said this before like a year ago where it's like you sometimes – you think of something you want to talk about and you're afraid of forgetting it. So you just want to say it. Yeah. 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 So just those things. I was just like, Oh, that, you know, 
I just I oh, just thought yeah. it'd, be, it'd be interesting. Yeah. But... Anything else that you noticed that was kind of like a mind mindless maneuver, if we want to call it that? No, no, th- th- those those were like uh, that was just like a little little tidbit. <laughs> well, how about how about me pulling out my computer? Convincing you to watch a show that I've already that you've already watched. Okay. <laughs> convincing you to watch a show that you've already watched. No, no convincing. I just wanted to spend time with you. So yeah, I watched yeah. this so then, show just show two times, one with James, one with, with my dad. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll watch it a third time if I get to experience it with Austin. And it's on like one of the best episodes. And I'm watching just to kind of see Austin's reactions. And then I look over and the guy's dead asleep. <laughs> Literally, it was like a lullaby. I was like, <laughs> there's a scene um like the, the the thing the bit you showed me with patrick star falling asleep <laughs> yeah yeah oh man that was bad i i remember i felt so bad when i woke up because i woke up with like like drool on my chin and just like coming to my laptop was just closed <laughs> i closed it. I, was like, I was running out of power. i was like oh fuck sorry no, that's it was like 45 minutes later anyway this is like the lamest part of the trip john's like wow this trip sounds fucking fascinating um no 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 because maybe maybe <laughs> i guess w- when when we spend time together it occurs to me as like an, a very exciting i look forward to it a lot so i'm like oh, yeah, planning yeah, to be yeah. there with you and then you're just like munching on our x bars <laughs> checking your snap and i was like oh i know bro i guess like he's, uh, he's i needed to out. I needed to think about this differently because I think the time we had before we landed in Vegas, which was like probably seven hours if you combine the airport yeah. and the plane. I was really looking forward. For yeah, that. yeah. For me, like, it was like, oh man, as soon as I get to the airport, this trip is starting. You know. Oh. What um, what's the utility of uh, Snapchat? Uh, socializing. I'd say what's socializing what is socializing or or how do you yeah what is it um connecting with other people and talking and talk like yeah exchanging conversation what do you what what kind of exchange do you guys have on snapchat um there's a group with my friends that i'll send them stuff uh like funny things i see pictures of things there's a group for the weekly ballers that I send stuff to. Um, yeah. Fr- Miranda, like when I'm traveling, it's cool to stay connected with Miranda with just with like stuff I'm doing and seeing. You enjoy um, it. Yeah. I enjoy the social aspect of it. Like I enjoy how easy it is to like communicate with photos and videos compared to texting. Cause like if you don't want to text somebody a bunch of photos or like take a video of yourself and then text them that video, Snapchat's just like a bit of an easier way to do that. So like, give you an example. I was like, uh, where was I? I sent Miranda a funny Snapchat at the airport. Oh yeah, I was coming out of security about like how they um, they tried to confiscate my cologne that she bought me for Christmas. So I sent her like... Uh, a, a video of like oh you almost we almost lost this you know like hundred dollar bottle of cologne and it was like a video of like the tsa agent putting it back in my bag i like suddenly had my phone out recording it. it was kind of funny 
And like, she was like, oh shit, that would have been good. And it's just like a way to stay connected while I'm gone for like 10 days, you know? So that was an example. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of me just like sending her a text being like, hey, forgot the cologne or almost lost the cologne. Pretty much the same thing in my head. What do you ask? I'm just curious. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Sure. I do. <clears throat> I uh, I do I'm have no... Out. So do you think I'm missing out by not using Snapchat? Mm. I think so, in a way. Assuming it has no impact on your attention. Meaning, like... I don't, I don't have any notifications turned on for Snapchat or Instagram. So when I'm on Instagram, it's like purposeful, but I'm all, I was also on it a lot um, on the trip. Cause I was just like, kind of not, not working. And a lot of time we spent in like the car and we were driving a lot, traveling a lot. So I was on Snapchat and Instagram a lot while traveling. Um, so yeah, I think it's a cool way to stay connected with people as long as it's not pulling away your attention from other things that you normally would focus on, you know, like you're out doing an estimate or something, you see something cool in someone's house. And this is what happens to me all the time. Like I'm in someone's house doing an appointment and I see something really cool that like I would want in our house. And I like send it to Miranda on Snapchat or something. Super quick, super easy. It's like a different way to text. Yeah. The one thing I didn't like about Snapchat is uh, the explore, the explore part. Mm. It's just so annoying. And then there's streaks. So you have to keep. Uh, so yeah, those are the three things. <laughs> yeah, so streaks. streaks, there's an explore page. That's like, oh, the worst thing I found is it. Um, it like diluted the excitement for conversation for me. So, like, let's hmm. say, John, I only see your face, like, once a week. But, like, if you and I were sending Snapchats to one another, I would see your your face, like, almost every day. Well, that's what I was thinking about. You know, like, I, um, when you say, like, stay connected, I mean. But it dilutes it for me. So, like, yeah, now when I like see I, you, yeah. there's, like, more, there's, like, a temperature gauge that kind of builds up. So, I'm, like, more inclined to be, like, excited, whereas... Every time it tries to fill up, I kind of see your face and kind of get like a pseudo interaction. Um, yeah. Well, I was just thinking a lot of the things that I talk about, Trisha, at the end of my day or whatever, are a lot of the things that maybe you're Snapchatting. And, you know, I guess, well, I wonder what fills that space otherwise. Yeah. It's interesting for just sure. Just thinking about it or not pulling out your phone and capturing it, I guess, is what fills the space. No, I meant this, like this, the space... Like when I'm with Trisha afterward, like I'm saying, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I can see how it leads to being less mindful, too, because if you're like, see something and then you're like, oh, I got to capture that. And then you're thinking of pulling, pulling out a phone and capturing it. You're not just like witnessing it and absorbing it and thinking well, no, but it about also, it for yourself. Yeah, but there's also something that you're also maybe taking for granted that you'd actually have to have your phone on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was a small part there. <clears throat> the trip itself was really fun. I yeah. literally I haven't had as much fun as that in a while. Was it was really very it's very hedonic. It was very pleasure oriented and yeah, I mean it was it was fun. We, we we shot some guns, drove some cars, 
water skied next to the Hoover Dam. Yeah. You know, very cool. I saw Steve Aoki. He's like a DJ. At like yeah, we were just in a lobby. hotel lobby and I'm hotel like, lobby. Fuck, that's Steve Aoki. Yeah. We go carded, go carded, ate at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, saw Chevron, yeah. went inside a Dollar Tree. You know, yeah, like, just fucking my, Dollar my, Tree. Bro, my nerd side came out. What about the Chevron? Sorry. No, I just saw a Chevron. I haven't seen a Chevron before. So I was like, oh, oh I, cool. you guys don't have them out east? No. No, not at all. You guys are in Canada? Mobile out east? Uh, Mobile? Um, not in Canada. Oh, okay. No. Yeah, we have tons of Chevrons in the West. Yeah, so I was like, but yeah, the Dollar Tree, well, for context, John like has read a book about Dollar Tree and its management. And, well, the uh, reason why it makes sense that Chevron, you wouldn't see them out east as well, is because Chevron was um, came um, as a result of Standard Oil of California. Oh, yeah. I saw that that quote. I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, seeing the Dollar Tree was like a lot of fun. But Austin thought he was going to turn a corner and see like some homeless dude in a tent. Because I'm telling you, like they save money in those locations. You walk in, it's like lighting from the 90s the tiles from the 60s it's just no organization things are just kind of items are just kind of roughly laid out in some order but i got what i needed and i paid a dollar an item and it was fantastic yeah it's crazy um then we went to the uh the uh the hedonic center of vegas <laughs> that's that's yeah, what we went to is. the we went to the hedonic headquarters for sure we had to straight check yeah it man out. it was it was wild and there was a couple of uh it was wild for me but it, it, a couple of interesting observations uh, a lot of the women are excellent salespeople, and they literally canvas so that the business model is fascinating you have like the pole in the middle where like if you're if you're a dancer and you go up there like you you don't really make that much money. But then when you're done and you're just kind of roaming the area, you're basically canvassing table to table, trying to elicit like a dance. And a dance is like $40, $50 US. And they price anchor too. So they're like $50 for a dance based on like reading you. And then if you're like, no, no, no. She's like, okay, honey, for you, I'll do 40. And then you go to get a dance. And then after the dance, right before it ends, they try to upsell you. Hey, can I get let you want to do like 15 minutes so like three songs and if you go no then she's like okay let's just do one more song so again popcorn pricing anchoring um, if you say yes to the 15 minutes you get upsold to like a 45 minute room amber's like, like yeah for scientific reasons i went down every single <laughs> no i did it i did it i did it <laughs> I did. I did. I did. For scientific reasons. No, I did. I did. I fucking took one for the team and ran a study. Okay, like yeah. No, no, no. But it was just, it was just fascinating. It was fascinating. And and there's some like there's the, the there's like women there like that are like waitresses, servers, and you can't like you're not allowed to get a dance, but they'll do it for like a thousand dollars for one yeah. dance. It was crazy. Yeah, no. Were they that much more attractive than the other ones? There was one that was like, there was one that, you know, her face was more symmetric than others. Yeah. So, (laughs) 
Uh, Dude, but, Amherst out there just offering consulting services to like them. Just like so to, fun fact. Sales process. Fun fact. Uh, the the women of the night are are subcontractors. Yeah, they're all subcontractors. They're all subcontractors. You mean, you, what do you mean the women of the night, dude? You, do you not want to say the words <laughs> that we don't get like flagged? That's such a little. <laughs> no, no. I think it was just <laughs> fun to not say. So, um, is it free, like, to go into the strip club? Hundred dollars, hundred dollar US cover. It's yeah. ridiculous. And then, are you basically shunned upon if you like don't drink and like don't participate mm, in the dancing? No. Uh not shunned upon, but the probably biggest like thing that was abused in that place is the law of reciprocity. So like, oh yeah, Austin, sure. can you tell your story? Oh of, my of the conversation, God, yeah. man. Okay, listen to this. So we walk in. We're there for like maybe thirty seconds, and we're a group of eight guys. So of course, like a bunch of girls come over. They start talking to us. Again, you know, like canvassing. If you see, uh, if if I'm out canvassing and I see a fucked up roof, of course I'm knocking at the door, right? We essentially were a, a walking fucked up roof. <laughs> yeah, this example, so, Austin's the roof. <laughs> yeah. So these girls come over, they start talking, uh, they start talking to us, and like we're like a minute into this conversation and it's just going nowhere, right? She's like, "So where are you from?" I'm just like, "Oh, we're from Canada." She's like, "Oh, that's so cool." I'm I was. You know, I was dating a Canadian guy recently. He had a great dick. I was like, okay, great. Thanks. Like, thanks for sharing that. You know, I was just like, made a comment about that. And then she was like, so like, do you want to go downstairs, sweetie? I'm like, no, I'm okay. Like, I'm just going to grab a drink. She's like, What's okay, well, downstairs, sorry. Or do you want to go, I guess. Where are you going like, to dance? Yeah. She's like, she's like, okay, no, that's fine. Did you want to like, leave me a tip then? I'm like, leave you a tip for what? She's like, well, for like, for this. I'm like, for having this two minute conversation, <laughs> I literally oh, said that I'm like, for having this conversation. And she's like, yeah, I'm like, no, I, I don't, you know? <laughs> and she's like, well, you know, like we're not employees. Like we're, we're subcontractors essentially. That's so it hilarious. Just, it just helps me, you know, pay for my time. And I'm just she like, she didn't say subcontractors. She said like, we work off commissions. Tips. Yeah. Yeah. Commissions. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Like, it was just such an awkward conversation for the way, like for that. Do you think the way it she ended. was just like newer at it or something? Yeah, it's just like God damn, that was like a terrible pitch. Sorry, it was like a three on ten. You know, I was like, hey, if you're open to feedback, we could dissect this after. You know, we could get uh, get you some more sales throughout the night. That was kind of funny. Do you think that she was just newer at it? Um, no, not at no. all. Yeah, no. She just <laughs> she just knew when to click that button. And some people, yeah, get, that's what I'm saying. The law of the reciprocity. law of reciprocity. Yeah, exactly. So there's a that book was, called Influence. A lot of people would have been like, yeah, sure. I feel so bad. Like, let me tip you or whatever. You know, it's like, fuck. I, I read this book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. And he talks about different like things that you that you can use to kind of like influence basically in sale. One of them is reciprocity or like, you know, free estimate, all this stuff. It's kind of about the reciprocity rule. So they just know they'll have a great conversation. They'll smile. They'll touch your forearm. And then because of that, you're more likely to go to and get a dance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, I, um, I, uh, bought some new vehicles recently and, you know, every time you go into a dealership, Hey, do you want coffee? Hey, do you want water? Oof. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wait, you bought some vehicles? What'd you buy? Yeah. I bought two. I bought two more vehicles. Dodge Caravans. Correct. What, uh, what year? 2017 for both of them. Nice. Did you spend more than 20 grand on both? 
Of course, we found. I spent oh, twenty six thousand okay. per. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. I don't, I don't know about prices. Did you get them decals? Uh, they're gonna get decaled. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, super solid. But yeah, no, like some of the girls walking around wearing like a iced out Rolex, and uh, one of our other friends was basically asking, like, on average, like, like the best girls here, how many dances do they give or get? And it was like forty to fifty, which if you work it out, it's around like three to four thousand dollars a night that some of these girls make. So, yeah, it was crazy, man. Are they um, are they attractive? Yes. Yeah, yeah, like after talking to a few of them, bro. This is like Las it, Vegas, dude. It's this very is like clear. The no, I NBA get that, but I'm just trying to pick, like, I'm just trying to picture like what. Um, I'm just trying to picture like what that would even like what kind of woman would you know would do that you know um well put it this and way I don't, like, and i don't have contempt towards it or any way or anything like that i just just you know just kind of like you know a lot of women who were working there like moved to vegas to do that for a career it's like the it's like they get called up it's like getting called Hollywood. up to the big leads legit like you know so interesting okay um yeah yeah, and so then that I was, just, was the that was the hedonic boy HQ for sure. Yeah, and I just was wondering about the like the ethics of getting a dance. Like if it's your bachelor party, like I just don't get it. And I, and I was hoping you can enlighten me, John. I don't know, but like if it was your bachelor party, would you get a would you get a dance or like how would you even think about this? Like is that unfaithful? Oh no, you're just having fun. I I still am confused about how one should think about this if they're married or have a person that they're engaged to or a girlfriend like how does this work sorry you're asking for my opinion on the matter is that yes um if you want to share if not we can talk about other things i i personally wouldn't partake like like at my bachelor party we wouldn't be going to a strip club okay cool Something really interesting that we. That... I should also say though, on the flip side though, I would I would have zero problem with Trisha going to a male strip club and having a guy like shake his junk or his ass in Trisha's face. It would mean nothing to me. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, probably like one of the cooler moments there because I do have contempt towards male strippers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. I had a friend of mine who's a male stripper. I I have theater a friend graduate. That, that, that did the, male theater stripper. graduate. Yeah. 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 He yeah, did he it for was, a bit uh, in with the biggest male strip club in, in Montreal. And uh dude was like got in a crazy good shape. And uh yeah. I was like, well, yeah, it was just such an interesting talking to him after he got that job. I was like, dude, what's that like, man? He's like, Oh, it's pretty crazy. It's like kind of there's a lot of older women. Uh but he said, there's also some younger women that go in there like a lot. He's like, I have regular female customers that are like not the type that you would generally think would be there, you know, like uh, like attractive women that are going there regularly to see him. And I'm like, wow, dude, that's crazy. I just got, like never assumed that that was how it all worked. You know? Anyways, cool it was place. just kind of fascinating. Yeah. But yeah, because it's Nevada. Um, if you own a gun, uh, like a gun store or no, a shooting range, uh, you're allowed to shoot automatic guns. So that was like 
so much fun. We shot like an M4, an Uzi, an MP5, an M60, an M249 saw. And when we walked in, some guy shot a minigun. A minigun, bro. <laughs> you be for America, se- man. Like a turret. Amber, like, did it make you feel com- more comfortable with my Smith & Wesson investment that they're not taking away any guns? There's no way they're taking any guns. At least not. No, I know it's not. I know they're not. <laughs> it was not seven hundred dollars, five hundred, um, five hundred bullets, or what? What? I forgot the term. So with the five hundred rounds, rounds yeah. you're blowing through very quickly. Three seconds. It was. It was insane. In three, three seconds. seconds to, he... Yes, it was like <laughs> done. Dude, it's, it's like it's like the gun. <laughs> no, yeah. no, 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 yeah, no, no. Right. You get like so the package that we got, they're all pretty similar, but it was like four guns, four or five guns, and you get like one or two rounds per gun, and it was about two hundred US. No, one or two magazines. Yeah, sorry, magazines. Yeah, and there's about twenty five rounds per magazine in most cases. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the minigun, right? That's what they had. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, if you're listening to this, just Google minigun. So, did you guys get to shoot yeah. any uh, Smith and Wesson revolvers? No. I think they had a few, though. Yeah, they did. But I wanted to shoot automatic, dude, because you can't shoot that anywhere. Yeah, really. fair play. But yeah, that was kind of. A rough overview of Vegas. Did they have any new of the uh, um, uh, Smith and Wesson M and P volunteer rifles? Do you know? Wouldn't know. Okay. Volunteer. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think it was probably something to do with uh, in conjunction with the the move to the headquarters to Tennessee because Tennessee is called the Volunteer State. Ooh. Why is it called the volunteer that's state? Why? Uh, I don't know. Gabe, pull it up. I'm on it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it is interesting to see. Like, uh, Amber went on a late night walk uh, through a, a lot of the casinos without uh, him and because him of ten- Conrad. Very good. It's because of Tennesseans' eagerness to step forward to serve in times of war. Apparently, there you go. Um, so yeah, nice the volunteer state. Oh, the war of 1812. <clears throat> so that was a while back, but uh, they got dusted. <laughs> yeah, well, they probably weren't using Smith and Wesson's then. It there was a really funny, uh, funny story. So we walk into the first the first night we get there on a Thursday, we walk into the Bellagio and uh, like we go up to get a drink at the bar. And um, I forget that James and Amher aren't drinking. So I order like eight drinks and there's we only needed six. And so we have these two extra drinks and there's these like b- very clear bachelorette party next to us who is like girls wearing like pretty much a full wedding dress, it looks like. And uh, Pat, who's the bachelor with us, is wearing like this pink tutu thing on his head. It's kind of a joke. It was very clear that we were both there for bachelor bachelorette parties. So we started talking to them and there's this girl who is very clearly intoxicated who comes over to us and she's like, so 
where are you guys from? And Amber's like, Toronto. And she's like, me too. And then she, <laughs> and he's like, what's your name? And Amber goes, Amber. And she goes, that's awesome, April. <laughs> she thought my name was April. <laughs> she, thought, she thought Amber's name was April. <laughs> so we called Amber April the rest of the trip. Um, that's pretty ridiculous. So <laughs> that's awesome, was it fun? April. I had a blast. I mean, like the city was great to be there for like three days. But on the way home, I was like, holy shit, I'm glad I'm leaving because the whole city is essentially it's impossible to be. Um, Dude, your dopamine is maxed yeah, it's the just whole riddled. time. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'd be quite overwhelming. It was fun to experience, but definitely I would not recommend going there for longer than 72 hours. I don't know if I want to go back to be. No, honest. me neither. Me neither. Yeah. I, I went I went to Vegas before. You did? When? Uh, I went uh, to Grant Cardone's 10X Growth Conference. Oh, dude. How old were you? I think I was probably 21. Oh. How's that? What was your experience okay. of Vegas? Well, I didn't go to the strip. Uh, I didn't oh. go to any strip clubs. Um, I didn't drink alcohol. And I didn't gamble. So it was actually pretty, a great Pretty time. regular time. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, it was good. I went to conference and you know the conference itself was and uh, i went with you know some cool people that i was friends with and the food it was excellent i mean i'll say that expensive but excellent you know i remember offering to grab everyone's starbucks i was like you know because we were kind of like running a little bit behind and i said hey i'll tell you what i'll wait in line i'll get a starbucks i'll beat you guys there huge mistake it's like <laughs> nine dollars per like yeah dude. coffee yeah. yeah even at the airport it's like the, nuts the one guy had like a mocha it was like sixteen dollars. I was like Jesus, yeah, yeah. So either way, um, but it was a good time. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, we we had fun. Yeah, yeah. hope to join because uh, we was legalized at the time. Mm. Yeah, so I would I I would probably say like I I wouldn't be super interested to go back to be honest. It wasn't something that would be like yeah let's go back. But it was interesting to see like people that live there, you know, and people that like mm -hmm. clearly sit at slot machines for like seven hours until it pays out, and they will pump tens of thousands of dollars into these things. Like we were sitting next to a guy. Um, in... I think we I think we told him this. Oh yeah, we did. Yeah, the the hockey game bet thing. Yeah. Um, and uh but Amber walked through the casinos at like 2 a.m. I think you were there with Conrad or like 1 a.m. It, it was like midnight, yeah. And you were just saying how you saw like a bunch of people just like hunched over smoking. Yeah, a I was walking with Conrad and he was like, What are your thoughts? I'm like, Oh, it seems very sinful. And then I was like, Oh, Sin City. It's literally called that. And I'm like, Yeah, I don't know if I want to be back here. Well, it's interesting because I, I think Warren Buffett's take on it was that he knew he had a chance in life when he found out that there's basically in the middle of the desert, there's a city that exists because people don't know how to do math. People don't know how to what? Do math. And what do you mean? They don't That's know how to do math? Very well said. When did like you, there's was, literally, when was this? there's like a, there's a city. In the oh, you mean like the, the math of you winning in Vegas is so Because low. people can't do math. Yeah. Wow. That's hilarious. Did he say that in one of the shareholder meetings? I don't know where or when he said that. Hmm. Meaning, like, if you go to Vegas, you're I think obviously it was in the book because snowball. you're not going to win. Yeah, I uh, I only have actually gambled one time in my entire life, and really? I had yeah, and I, and I I did it, and right afterwards, I made a promise to myself that I would never gamble 
knowingly ever again. Yeah. And then you bought you... Smith and Wesson, but no, that was pretty good. Um, and just wait, but, uh, you know, with... I know, I know it's a good investment. <laughs> well, we'll find out, but, um, no, I went to, uh, when I was like 18, I went to the casino, uh, with Corey actually. Okay. And then what happened? I, uh, I don't know, like I, I gambled away like $400 or something. Or oh my God. Blackjack. Corey, what are you doing? Letting, letting John in there. What, what game was it? Blackjack. blackjack. Oh, blackjack. Okay. Yeah, fair enough, man. Blackjack's one of those games. Oh. Good. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, John's lagging, and I hope we're not talking over him. Yeah, for, for, for. yeah, he's lagging bad. For whatever reason, there we go. Trisha is downloading some stuff eh? in the background. <laughs> She was in an online casino, which is a gambling. <laughs> Trisha's hitting those online slots. You know, I... Yeah, uh, it's just too many people moving here. It's just too fucking... The real estate market's just too hot out here. It can't get any good internet. You know, what can I say? I'm sure that's what that is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Trying to get that fiber yeah, optic sorry. installed in our building. True. What do you guys got going? Anything you guys learn, want to share, or anything you want to run? I, I do have a couple of things I was interested in getting your guys' opinion in. I was just looking through the section of my notes where I typically write things down to talk to you guys about, and uh, I've all I brought them all up already. So go ahead. Oh wait, John was gonna, John, you're going to say something? Yeah. Well, I, I actually um, I kind of made a bit of a I guess you call it a realization that uh, there's actually a fairly obvious and fairly substantial reinvestment opportunity in my painting business. Um, and yeah, like in the form of new, more company vehicles and, and, you know, the physical location, I mean, we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but it kind of really hit me that, you know, the business has kind of grown to a point where, you know, you kind of have to, you know, put the, put the equity into it. Right. What was the uh, straw that broke the camel's back? Or you went like, oh, yeah, there's probably something there. Because you have your capital allocation board and you had it, mm -hmm. the options there. Were those options there or were they, were they just in your blind spot? Yeah. Yeah. They're both there. Yeah. So what happened? Um, well, it's not an attractive trait of a business that you have to pour capital back you know that you have to retain earnings in order to maintain or grow the business not attractive right like ideally you'd have a business that requires no capital no retain no retained earnings whatsoever to continue growing and 
Yeah. So, I mean, I was trying to, I was hoping or maybe trying to find ways that I wouldn't have to reinvest or retain earnings to, you know, maintain or grow the business, but it seems inevitable. Okay. But what was the realization? Was that it? Well, the, the realization was that a lot of the ways that we had or were doing things that were, you know, they were frugal and they're, you know, they were, they were clever or whatever. Um, they're just not as reliable. <laughs> they're just not as reliable, you know, um, they're not as long-term and, uh, Ultimately, I think they were too dependent on individuals versus, you know, just good old assets, you know? Um, yeah. Is a vehicle classified as an asset? Yeah, of course it is. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, the the, the actual physical property, as in you own the, the, the vehicle, would be considered an asset. Now, most businesses will have an offsetting liability in the form of, of, of a loan. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, man, that's pretty um, cool, man. That's pretty cool. So you made the realization. How? What was the the time delay between the you making the realization to you purchasing the vehicles? Uh, forty five minutes. Love that, man. Yeah. Nice. I called Jocelyn around eight a.m. And I said, Hey, um, do you think it's time that we add some more vehicles? She said, well, you know, my answer is going to be yes. And I said, okay, but is it because like, are we doing it because it would be more convenient or are we doing it because at this point, like we, we can't sustain what we're doing if we don't have them. She said, I don't think it's possible that we continue to do what we're doing. I said, okay, well, no worries. So by nine o'clock I had two vans sourced and closed. God damn. That's mm -hmm. respected. Well done. Mm -hmm. That's respected. Um, yeah. And then probably more to come because we have enough crews now that you can't, because one thing I think that was happening was that the business, because, you know, the business has grown quite dramatically, like in, you know, in, in a series of, you know, let's say three or four years. Right. And a lot of the infrastructure that was that we were using, you know, let's say three years ago is still what we're using now. Right. And so, um, you don't understand the, the depreciation of, you know, cause uh, I'm realizing, you know, one of the realizations was in a, just a, kind of like just seeing Jocelyn and being in the field with her and realizing that you can only, you can, you know, one human can only do so much, right. Like as far as like actual workload and things like that. And Jocelyn's pretty inhuman in her, in her ability to work, but there's still a tipping point for individuals where it's like, yo, like, <laughs> Like if you keep growing the business, like, like, you know, like I, you can't give me any more things to do. You know what I mean? Um, and so when I was looking at Jocelyn's role, I was trying to break it down into like what it is that she actually does. Right. And how is it that we can actually have her do more, you know, like you guys were talking to me about, like, how can we have her do more of the things that she's really good at? Right. Like in a perfect world, because I was really thinking about like, does Jocelyn actually need to be doing the things that she's doing? Right. And one of the things that her and Noah were actually spending a fairly substantial amount of time doing, but also doing it at a time that was very, because I would say like the hours that a human, you know, it was say Trisha or not Trisha, um, Jocelyn and Noah work from like, you know, whenever they start work in the morning until about 4 p.m. 
are like fairly good hours of work, but their efficiency after 4 p.m. drops off dramatically, but also the wear and tear on their, their minds, their morale and their bodies. It's just like, like, like you can put as much wear and tear from four to six as you did like the whole beginning part of the day, you know, quote unquote, right? Mm, that's a good person. point. I agree. You know what I'm saying? And so Jocelyn's been working like 120, 130 hours every two weeks, like just balls to the walls, right? And you can imagine that like, it's like, how the hell do you work that much? It's like, well, the last 30 hours were really like what would normally take like five hours or 10 hours, right? Um, but she's just operating in that, like that, that red line state, right? And I could see, and yeah. so I, I saw that and I'm like, this isn't going to last. Like you can't, you can't redline a fucking car, right? Forever. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, how can we take some of her workload and how can we shift that to other things without, without bringing on um, uh, reoccurring costs, right? And so- the the thing that i thought was like well we could just simply fucking add more vehicles right i mean if we just added more vehicles to crews then more crews would be mobile they wouldn't have to move their own equipment but you could also then have those crews you know move other crews equipment based on if they're in the area and things like that and so when i did the math i was like you know it, it wasn't going to cost the company less money like we weren't going to save money as a result of this or anything like that um but it would actually make what we were trying to do more sustainable like it would allow for more growth in that way um and it would also save the most precious asset of the business, which is Jocelyn in itself, right? So uh, that was a no-brainer, right? Like you either pay for it in depreciation on Jocelyn as a human, or you pay for it in depreciation of the vehicle, yeah. right? And so I had a similar circumstance with yeah. hiring a driver and getting a second truck this year for Mark. Yeah, yeah. So, but so for us though, like I wanted to skip the driver though. So what I wanted to do, I mean, for you maybe it would make more sense. But I, so what I did is I just bought Cruise. Yeah, and I bought Cruise. Uh, Vans, you just bought the cruise actually... you just purchased the humans but they're yeah. um but so the crews allowed to use them for personal use too like i want to try and like rep- i wanted to try and like use that as like a switching cost thing where now like you know if they want to switch jobs they have to get rid of the, like the company vehicles and then now that's a switching cost right which is yeah. a competitive advantage for businesses but then i was like okay well then how can i increase the switching cost for my employees i'm like okay well so then that, that's one tangible benefit is a switching cost for vehicles right um and then uh, I, I did the math and it, it cost the company um, uh, about $7,000 a year per van um, all in for insurance, um, you know, all kind of maintenance, you know, estimated at like $2,500 a year, it's probably overkill, but you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and then it offsets, you know, some labor for, for Jocelyn and then probably reduces labor in general, just because a crew can probably be a lot more efficient in moving their crew the equipment than Jocelyn can, right. For various reasons. And they can, you know, potentially save drive time there. Um, so yeah, I think I'm going to go down that route, but I mean, you know, it, you know, me still trying to be frugal about it. I'm trying to buy, you know, vehicles that are about five to six years old. They're, you know, further along their depreciation curve and, you know, to try and standardize them. So they're all the same vehicle. So we can maybe, get some more bulk savings and, you know, through parts and things like that and whatnot. So they're all, we all of our vans are 2017 Dodge Grand Caravans. Um, I was like, also there's a marketing component to it as well. You know, as far as like people drive, you know, driving around and it just, you know, they just see our, you know, our, our driving billboards more often and just makes it look more professional, et cetera. Right. Like there's a certain demographic that would prefer to hire a company that they know has a lot of trucks and a lot of assets, you know, like money invested in the business. You know what I mean? Um, and then uh, the switching cost aspect I was talking about. 
So yeah, there was that. Um, the second one that I that I thought about that I've been thinking of a lot more recently is really trying to advance the the the, the needle on getting the physical location. Because yeah, I wanted to ask you that. actually about how that's going. You mentioned that maybe maybe about like a month and a half ago that you were looking for that. Really, like really terrible. Yeah, there's basically just no inventory on the market. Huh. And yeah, like there's like at least for what I'm looking for, and the inventory that does come up. Cause I do need a fairly specific location as well, because right. the thing is, is that if I buy, if I buy a location that's out of the way, it's, it's actually, there's no going to be no use to it. Like I do need to, I, I don't need to, but I want to buy it in and around Cloverdale. And I actually did find a unit and I have a meeting with them on Monday. Cause I think I have a fairly good chance at this one. Yeah. The guy was trying to lease it. Um, it's like, it's like two tennis ball throws from our main supplier, Cloverdale and Kelowna. And it's like right central in the middle of town. So it's like actually like a great location, like in general, but then it, because it's a, you know, two tennis ball throw from, from Cloverdale would be actually be used because the, because the, the second thing that I, that I thought about was that, um, Jocelyn and Noah actually run a lot of equipment to and from like specialty equipment to, to and from cruise from our, we already pay about $1,200 a month in storage units, uh, in total. Um, because we have so much extra equipment and specialty equipment that we don't necessarily give to crews, um, like on a day-to-day basis and things like that. Um, like even like just sheets of plywood that we reuse, like, you know, like for putting on top of hot tubs and things like that. It's not something that a crew would carry around with them per se. But another thing to consider too, though, is that we also have a lot of inventory or specialty equipment that our crews aren't able to carry because they, that we, we, again, kind of frugal, we were having them use their own cars, but most people don't want to fucking like carry around a lot of specialty equipment. But also now if we start buying all of our cruise vans, all of a sudden they can actually have shop backs. They can have these extra lights. They can actually carry, you know, a lot more specialty equipment that wouldn't necessarily, they wouldn't have all the time. Like, you know, even a leaf blower is kind of a hassle to give to a crew if they're packing. It's so true. Equipment, right. But you know, the yeah. point you touched on about the, uh, the vehicles, sorry, just about like the people driving them and them having a vehicle to drive during the day, like that being like a friction cost to leaving working for you is very true. I would say. Oh no, for sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. So so either way, so when I thought about getting this physical location, I was like, okay, so it's going to cost us about forty grand a year to ha- to have the to have this uh, not uh, and that's that's including um, it's going to cost about forty thousand dollars a year in interest costs, roughly depending on how much we put down, um, and then you can add back some amortization, whatever. But point being, call it forty grand, and I was like, okay, so thirty you know thirty three hundred dollars a month or so, uh, thirty five hundred, thirty seven, six thirty six, thirty six hundred, so. But then, you know, we would save $1,200 from these storage units that we're paying. And these storage units are also incredibly inconvenient. Like they're like not like they're not like a terrible location, but they are incredibly inconvenient. But also Jocelyn and Noah have to spend so much time actually moving equipment for the crews just for the fact that we have stuff in the storage unit that the, the painters don't have access to. So all of a sudden now we can actually carry inventory at our head office and then crews can just pick things up or, you know, they can like, they don't, they no longer need Jocelyn to like be a, like a weird like broker for like specialty equipment, you know, through whatever. Right? Um, and then also meeting crews. So like we have the, our job folders, for example, with the daily, you know, the progress, uh, daily production planners, et cetera. Eventually that's going to go digital. But again, like it's, it's another thing that Jocelyn has to like make sure that all those are at Cloverdale versus if we just had those at our head office, it just, again, it just, the workflow would be a, a lot better. Right. Um, yeah, I was even thinking, what do you guys think about this? I was almost thinking too, of implementing customer testers at our head office. So we would actually have every single substrate that we paint. And then we would actually just have scheduled times that customers could come by and just see their paint on the substrate versus Jocelyn having to go into the field to do testers. 
That's a really good question. The question is, will you get people to consistently show up? And no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so at all. Um, but, 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 but at least pitching people on the idea that they could come by at any yeah, point yeah. and they just, we just have like $10,000 worth of testers and they can just like, Hey, here's a blank canvas. Fucking pick your color. You know? Oh, that's pretty sick actually. Like it'd be like, it, it would be like a, like a, you could do a schedule, but you could be like, Hey, like just so you know, like we can come and send, like we can have Jocelyn come meet you in your house. But if you want like a total, like, you know, like help yourself kind of service, we actually just have like, like 5,000 colors. Like, and we literally do have like, maybe like a thousand testers or so like yeah. a crazy amount. And you can come and we have all the substrates and you can just come and like, you know, you can just like help yourself and just like paint some stuff and just see which colors you like. And then we can, you know, still come to your house, but at least you can like maybe like coordinate it down, you know? Wow. Cause then it, cause it would, it would you know, I'm just thinking about, you know, I, all I'm thinking about is that there's so many opportunities that I see that this physical location could be used for, you know, even like John, you know, even like Brady, Noah and I like, you know, working in office, making calls, you're probably gonna have way more opportunities for deep work, you know, hundred like percent, just team meetings and things like that. So, you anyway. know, Point being though, when a business is going to bring on assets, okay, there's really only three ways that you can finance it. One of those ways is kind of not really relevant for a business of my type, which is to issue shares <laughs> because uh, I suppose I could issue shares and, you know, <laughs> sell equity to you guys and then, you know, <laughs> but I'm not going to because um, of course I value the equity, right? So then there's only really two choices. You know, you can, you can either, um, in order for an asset to appear on your balance sheet, it has to be offset by either a liability or um, it, it's going to be an asset that's in the form of cash that was converted to the asset, right? Um, and so if you want cash, again, you can issue debt or you can uh, retain earnings. And so then from there, you think to yourself, okay, well, what what is the actual tangible return on the, on the invested capital that, that I would get from you know buying these vehicles or buying this uh, this this building right and then then you'd think to yourself okay well do I want to decrease my earnings um, by bringing on debt and and taking on this new debt service expense uh, which is tax deductible so you know it would be it only cost me ninety cents on the dollar or what would it be be uh, eighty eight cents on the dollar. Uh, or I can retain the earnings and and purchase them, uh, purchase the assets, and, and uh, decrease um, the dividends uh, of the company. Which, because the company has been running effectively with very little very little reinvestment, the dividends have been very rich over the last two years, right? Of course, I'm the only shareholder. So me voting <laughs> to slash for me for me voting to slash dividends to uh, retain the earnings for an entire year, so that we can, you know, more or less make a more concrete shit house, quote unquote. Um, you know, the shareholders might revolt. <laughs> um, everything sounds like it makes sense, and the tester idea—it's a good idea. But like it doesn't really solve any major problems. It's a nice add-on, which is how you framed it. But so, uh, well, I think I if you take thinking, away, I don't, yeah. I don't know if I agree with taking away Jocelyn doing that at people's houses. No, 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 not at all, not at all. No, no. As a matter of fact, it's actually, I'm actually purposely trying to increase the the uh, the cost of running a painting business by having that be an industry standard. 
Got it. Okay, cool. Because we have a scale advantage where we're able to offer that service and it doesn't completely, you know, destroy our profitability because we like when we like, so for example, when we, when we buy a tester, we, a tester, you can go through, a, it costs us about, I did the math. It costs us about 35 cents to test paint on someone's house per color. Okay. Only because we store properly and reuse all of the testers. Okay. 35 cents in material and, and cost. Okay. There's of course Jocelyn's time. So each tester costs us give or take about $35 to do. Okay. Um, 35 but cents. for most $35 uh, when you factor in the lever though, sorry, 35 cents, but it, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. But 35 cents is how much the material cost is. Right. But for the, for an average contractor, the actual cost is $10 per color and about $35 in labor, right? Because they're, they're not necessarily reusing the colors or nor do they even have colors that, you know, they, they don't have systems to sell the same colors and things like that, right? So, and then they don't also don't have the time either because they're, they're like a one-man show or whatever. So I'm trying to increase the cost of the, you know, of doing business in the industry. I mean, any way I possibly can. Dude, yeah, I like this, man. This Creating is a good. barrier this to is entry. great. It's not a barrier to entry, actually. It's a scale yeah, advantage. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a right. scale advantage. Yeah, because because for every for every color tester I do, it costs me thirty five dollars in total. For every tester they do, it's costing them double, right? So the so the cost to them relative to my scale is double. Yeah. And so in that case, even though I would be decreasing my profitability by offering what I'm doing for free, which I do. Yeah it's costing my enemies more than it's costing me and what harms the enemy benefits you. So either way, um, I'll, I plan on retaining a substantial amount of the earnings from this year so that I can um, pay off these vehicles and uh, buy a physical location. And I think that it would, I think it's gonna be the, a really good thing for the business for the long term. John, do you not like having an open loan on vehicles that the business owns? No, I don't mind at all. Um, oh, I okay. actually, I think car loans are actually uh, a totally acceptable form of debt. Um, it's fixed rate, um, relatively short term, typically yeah. somewhere between five to seven years, yeah. fairly standard, um, usually 60 to 72 months, you know, yeah. so five, five, six years. Um the only thing though is that uh the car loans uh, do have 10% interest rate or 9.9 .9, but you know 10, right. 10 and so that's a fairly attractive reinvestment opportunity like to, yeah, like to pay yeah, off the yeah, debt and actually yeah. just not have that debt service charge is yeah. actually yeah that makes sense yeah whereas i have like so like uh my painting business doesn't use a lot of debt like relative to its revenue or anything like that mm -hmm. but all of the debt that it does use is all fixed rate yeah it makes sense yeah so I like, for example, I have two car loans at 10%, one at six, one at three. So I wouldn't pay off the six or the three. I would mm -hmm. keep those. Uh, we own one car outright. Um, and then, uh, so, you know, I, I plan on repaying, you know, repaying those two loans. Nice. Yeah. Okay. But you get a better deal when you buy a car, by the way, just pro tip for anyone. Um, so it's kind of a dirty thing, but uh, so a lot of um, car dealerships, make a lot of their money off the loan origination yeah. fee actually yeah yeah or at least it's it's a factor in their profits like basically if they sell you a financed vehicle they get a certain percent of it as a, as a kickback from the bank but then if they sell it to you so if you're not going to do it that way then they don't want to give you the, a they have less wiggle room on the price because now they have to make up that money elsewhere but here's the funny thing though 
is that if you pay off the loans within six months, the banks typically, I don't know, every bank might be a little bit different, but at least Scotiabank, who's who I use for all my car loans, just because I have a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. The, in Scotiabank, they're kind of aggressive in the auto lending space. But either way, um, if you pay it off within six months with Scotiabank, they actually claw back this this uh, this fee. So all these car dealerships, like, just fucking probably are going to hate me afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty savage. Um. I I kind of shifting gears here. I wanted to bring up something. Amber, I just want to say I like that you okay. found attractive opportunities for reinvestment in a boring business. I think that's cool. Yeah, but they're not ideal though. Like so, like in in a perfect world, the business would be able to grow without retaining earnings, right? Yeah. Yeah, not a perfect world. No, not by but not by any stretch. No. Um, Gabe and I were talking about this yesterday. We're just kind of debriefing our week, uh, talking about results on estimates and whatnot. I think on the week we ended up going uh, three for five or three for six or something. And we were just looking at how some of those deals came in and how they, and, and how others didn't. And we found that there's in some situations, people, clients, situations, environments, et cetera, like the stars align in terms of like the client's budget, personality, decision-making style, their partners and how those intersect with one another, the size of the project, the actual dollar figure, et cetera, that they kind of fall outside of the scope of a system, like a business system, like a sales system, let's say, right? And uh, a good example of this would be um, an extremely technical person, very detail-oriented, very introverted, um, really wants to come to decisions on their own and, and is really sensitive to someone else helping them get there. All things equal, they're your ideal client. However, they are 100% not going to be making a decision on the spot. And pushing that farther will cause you to lose the sale permanently, but giving them 24 to 48 hours or a little bit of good faith and having them come to a decision on their own in their terms actually boded well in two cases recently. So Brady, I've asked you. Um, yeah. So the question, I guess, this. so I guess the question is just before we, cause I do want to know what you think, John, I'm curious because you probably deal with this all the time is when do you switch from the systems to intuition? And then I also have a, a follow-up question. Because the systems so, is one thing, the intuition is the other, right? Well, in that situation, so, let's say. Yeah. So the way that I've taught Brady, and I am, I want to get your feedback on this, is that the systems are meant to to place us in a, uh, in a certain environment, okay, at a certain time, okay, with a certain type of person, okay? So we're trying, the systems are designed to get a certain result. Yeah. And so when you defer from the systems, it would be the exact moment that, so if you, if you checked off all the boxes, but the person doesn't want to follow the, your little predetermined path, then you're good. So I'll give you an example. So really what we're trying to achieve is, I mean, ultimately is that we're trying to paint someone's home. 
So if you, if you go one step back, if someone owns a home, okay, and we want to paint it, one of the requirements is that the person has to want to do the painting, okay? They have to be able to afford the painting, and they have to want to um, uh, want to do the painting this year. So these, 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 this is a must, okay? So really what we're trying to do when we're marketing is we're trying to attract people, okay, who are going to get painting done this year and who can afford it. Now, not everyone knows if they can afford it, okay? Mm -hmm. So that's not really like, that's not really like, that's not really like, that's not fair to di disqualify someone because they don't know if they can afford it. Right. hundred percent. Um, and then uh, whether or not someone's doing it this year usually has to do with whether or not they have the money for it. Okay. Um, now there's also multiple reasons why someone may or may not afford it. So without getting too into the weeds, right. When, when, you know, we're doing an initial call. Okay. So when Brady's doing an initial call, and someone can't, because really the part when most people say they're not following the systems, uh, the client's not following the systems, is is usually that that can they make a decision? That's the part that they're talking about. That's the friction, right? And so the way that we have presented is that look at Brady. If you, by all for you know by for everything that you you know have analyzed during the call, truly believe that the person one wants to get painting plans on getting it done this year and probably can afford it. Okay. You should do the quote, despite them saying they can't make a decision. Right. Cause or else it's just lost interaction. Yeah. No, and saying that customer. Though, yeah. But if someone says they're not planning on doing painting this year, okay. Or that like they have no idea when they're doing it. Like, I don't know. Like, you know, as in you, if you don't have confidence, the person's for sure doing painting this year. Okay. Right. You have doubts of whether or not they can afford it. Okay. Like, so for example, like if you ask someone, Hey, you know, Austin, um, when do you plan on doing this painting that we just talked about? And you're like, I don't know, John. You're like, Oh, okay. Like, are you planning on doing it this year? I don't know. Probably maybe could do it. You're like, Oh, okay. So like, but like, so like for sure this year, mm, probably not. Okay. Well, that's not like, that's not like, it, like it, if that person said they can make a decision, I still would be like, no, like I wouldn't, that's not, that's not worth doing the quote. Right. Um, if someone's like, you know, I don't know if I can make a decision, John, you're like, uh, or, 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 or I guess you were trying to suss out whether or not someone could, uh, could afford it, right? Um, would say you get to a part in the conversation where you're giving them a ballpark of being like, yeah, I know, like, hey, like, if it's within my price range, I could definitely probably go ahead with it. You're like, okay, awesome. Have you gotten any quotes in the past? You're like, yeah, no, like this other guy came by and he said it was going to be $3,000 to do my full exterior and where a fucking ripoff that is, right? Okay, well, I don't give a damn if the guy said he can make a decision. If he thinks that if he, if he thinks that a guy came out and did three thousand dollars is out to lunch to do a full exterior in Kelowna, then it doesn't make a difference if he said he can make a decision, right? It's not a quote worth doing. So, long story short, as long as Brady believes that the person is going to get painting done this year, can probably afford it, ideally needs it too. Um, yeah, do the quote, right, and see if you can make it work with them. And, and the way so, that I have him one last bit on that is that he, the way that we do the wording typically is if someone's like, hey, you know, like can't you know can't make a decision, or whatever. We say, hey, no worries. We totally understand. Um, it's just something that, you know, I wanted to make you aware of that, you know, when we do come out to do the quote for you, any of our clients that, uh, you know, decide to go ahead with us, we do do it as a thank you. We do do a 10% discount. If you can't make a decision, like we, you know, like our regular quote is totally, you know, like it's totally available to you. But as a thank you, if you can, 10% off, right? So it's just a, it's a, hey, like, look at, you don't have to make a decision. But if you do, it's a thank you for doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and we find that a lot of those people end up still making decisions. Yeah. No, and we've done that a lot too. Like the, we call it the soft pre close. 
which lends itself yeah. well to certain certain circumstances. My question was actually more about not necessarily qualifying people to get into an estimate because I I think that's actually a slightly different exercise is like to choose who to put yourself in front of for an hour, right? Like I understand that that's where you went with that, John, and I agree with you okay. fully. Like rejection or a no to the pre-close. Yeah, that's not a good sign. But if they meet all your criteria, all your other criteria perfectly, of course, put yourself in that situation and give it your best, right? For sure. I, I totally agree. What were you talking about then? I was just talking about in the sale, in the appointment. You're you're getting down to closing that person on working with you, getting a signature, getting a deposit, right? Okay. They're unwilling to do so, but every other box is checked. They want you to do the work. They're comfortable with you as a company. You can do it at a, at a time that works for them. It's within their budget, the material they're happy with. Everything works, right? But they just need the time to make the decision to process it. And keep in mind with roofing, we, we're about probably three or four X the average job size of painting. So we're talking about people making like a fifteen to $20,000 decision on the spot. So we we naturally get a little bit more of this friction, right? Of like, hey, I just need some time to like, make sure I have enough money available in my HELOC or make sure, see what my line of credit interest rates at or see like there's, because not a lot of people are funding it with cash savings, right? Virtually none are probably paying it with cash savings. Yeah. So we get a lot of people that just want like 24 to 48 to think about or to confirm finance. What's the issue with that? Um, Because a lot of the times in our sales process, we're bringing this up ahead of time in order to get that prepared ahead of time for the appointment, because there's this advantage to take Like there's a 10% discount on the day of the appointment to take advantage of if you can. But I, all I'm trying to describe is that there has been a few circumstances over the past couple of weeks that in that moment we've given them the time. So it's a pending sale. And then they have come through like within the time window they said they were going to. And so My question to you is more about when it comes to not necessarily just booking work for your own business, but training another sales rep or training another franchisee. I don't believe, and this is where Gabe and I had a slight disagreement. I don't believe it's worth training somebody like who's with you at an appointment, right? And you're relying on your own personal intuition to book the sale. I think it's cool to book the sale with someone else there and you getting it and showing them how you can do it with your intuition. But what I found happens when I do that, and it has happened in the past, is people see, oh, it's okay to break the system. And therefore, they imply their own reality into that. And they say, well, I'm going to break the system with my own intuition, right? And then they're running all over the place, breaking the system with their own intuition. And all of a sudden, You've got three or four sales reps or franchisees or whatever, all kind of like pushing their own narrative as to why it's acceptable to rely on intuition and not the systems. So my question is, where's the tipping point? Is it okay to do it yourself I, I and not with my I, I, I suppose know? I don't see there, because you, you view it as a dichotomy that you're either following the systems or using intuition, but not at the same time. Okay, that's a good point. I do, but I'm just talking about the particular, like when, not necessarily at like globally 
or like throughout the entire process. Cause I think there's a healthy mix of both throughout the entire process. Like you're always using intuition within the systems. I'm, I'm strictly talking about when you are literally breaking protocol and saying, and, and, and literally like backing off, taking a step down, agreeing and moving on and leaving the house without a deposit. That's you operating, not within the systems. I guess you could argue that I, if, you I went, if you went, if you went, I would if you handled three objections. Yeah. The systems, the systems, am I, I mean, the way that I view our sales process is not that um, the systems are to book the time or book the um, quarter time of the estimate, but rather to uh, try and meet with them at a time where they could make a decision. Right. And so if you get to the estimate, right. And they're not in a position to make uh, a decision, then I would say, I wouldn't say the systems are to try and close them. I would say the systems are then to, reschedule a time that mm-hmm. they can make a decision right 100%. now that doesn't mean that you have to reschedule the entire quote like you could still present the price but say hey when would be a good time for me to follow up with you you know like that like that, that, that i don't th- i don't see anything wrong with that whatsoever yeah like, I if, guess- if you've actually if you've actually determined that you've set the estimate up at a time where they couldn't make a decision the mm-hmm. next best thing you can do is determine when can they make a decision no i agree and then make I sure agree. you're there during that time <laughs> Yeah. I guess it's more just about having the objection come up. I am not making a decision today, although I really want to work with you guys and probably will end up working with you guys. But I'm not giving you a deposit and I'm not signing anything today because X and X can be anything, right? Yeah. X is the reason that they can't make a decision, though. Yes. And relying on when does x disappear no it's not that it disappears it's that i believe and i've been in situations where i've disagreed with that one two three four five six times and we have a deal right like it's worked i've probed into why it is that hey you know Mrs. Mm, Mr. Mr. Customer, I understand that you're not comfortable making a decision today. Do you mind if I ask why? You know, what do you think you're foregoing or gaining by giving yourself the extra, let's say, couple days or a week? Well, I just want to confirm X, Y, and Z on my end. Okay, no, I get that. And you understand that if you came back to us and said there wasn't a way that you could fund the project because you went to your bank and your HELOC got recalled or you actually don't have the funds to fund this project we would simply just refund your deposit, right? Like we wouldn't, if you're telling us this project is not getting done this year because of a financial situation you weren't aware of, then, I mean, the roof's not happening this year if you can't afford to do it, right? What I'm asking for is a deposit and a signature to show us that you're serious about getting the work done and you want us to do the roof for you this year. If, you know, you got in a car accident next week and totaled your car and your insurance company wasn't going to cover it and you had to buy a new car instead of doing the roof, you know, there's a bunch of situations that could happen that would arise in you not doing the roof this year. Yeah, I suppose. But, I mean, I would, I would, I would definitely speculate that you'd have a higher cancellation rate than us. No, I guess. Okay, maybe I'm putting this the wrong way. It's kind of a niche situation. The goal you, of you just don't like when someone can't make a decision during the estimate, right? I mean, no, 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 no. I accept it. Like, I'm, I'm indifferent. My question is actually about. Yeah, How do I you guess properly I'm, train someone? Yeah, my, my my question is, when do you rely on intuition over the systems? Because the systems would be if someone's a good candidate for your business, 
Like they literally need your service this year. The price fits, they like you, they want to hire you, but they're not going to make a decision. You handle that objection until the cows come home, right? Because you've gotten 95, 97% of the way there. Fine. Okay. So your question is, how do you train someone to move on from a sale without leaving anything on the table? Yes. Because if you show them that using your intuition is okay, then they're going to infer their own reality into that. Do you think it's safe to say that there's maybe some fear on your end that they're not going to push as hard as Austin? Yes, yes, 100%. And I've seen the impact of that. Okay, so what do you think the real challenge is there for you? The real challenge is not knowing how to consistently train people when I let my intuition get involved. What else do you think might be the challenge there for you? That that's all I see. I can't see like, like what's, it is a challenge to not be able to consistently train people using the systems. That's what the systems are there for. But if we're saying that intuition is okay to use, right. Which is what we're saying in a way, like you can use intuition. So I don't think I can effectively train intuition the same way I can train a system. And that that's the question. Intuition by definition is not trainable. Can I? Oh, I know, Gabe, say up. Say up. Actually, say up. No, okay, sorry. No, no. Um, do you think there's anything unique about your intuition? Not really. I think that the only thing I have over anyone else is just experience and time. I think if anyone else went through the same progression that I did, they would be having the same intuition, very similar. Like Gabe has now done more estimates than I have total at Rydell. I trust his intuition more than I trust mine when making a sale. So when bringing on new sales reps though, because they don't have the experience and the knowledge that you do in sales, you're fearful that their intuition will not be up to par to yours. And so I'm, as not a result, fe- I'm, not, I'm not fearful of the hypothetical. Sorry to interrupt you. I'm not fearful of the hypothetical. I have done this. I have booked jobs based on intuition. And I have seen the slippery slope of the impact of that because that person's booking rate ends up being medium to low based on them getting a lot of no's on the day because when they go to handle objections, they don't do it. They don't go as far as I think they could go because they've seen mm-hmm. me cave okay. and they've seen me accept okay. the pending. Yeah. Okay. So- Now, you did also mention that you think that this might be more exclusive to roofing than painting. Uh, I just wanted to make that a differentiation because based on my based on what I do and based on what you do, they're very similar. The only difference is that there may be a price sensitivity effect, possibly. That's all I was trying to say. But 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 as in but just want to make sure I'm, I'm hearing you properly so that so what you're saying, though, is that we may not encounter the same. Because it sounds like most of the objections you're talking about tend to be towards them being able to make a decision for some sort of well. All I'm reason. saying is that based on my experience selling painting and then selling yeah. roofing, the reasons for not making a decision on the day with roofing are more based on financial, personal financial management and like asset allocation. When it okay. comes to talking about mortgages, HELOCs, lines of credits, and loans, okay. and that didn't that those conversations weren't happening when I was selling painting. Because people generally could afford our average job size out of pocket, right? Which was like somewhere from two to six thousand dollars was our average okay. job size. Yeah. So, 
is there any possibility? Well, maybe walk me through more what you see as the moment that you go from systems to intuition. You. Like what's like, so for example, like, you know, you have one grain of salt on the table. It's just salt. Yeah. But at yeah. some point you drop enough and it becomes the pile. What's that yeah. clicking moment for you? Do you know? So in that circumstance, it's when I personally get the feeling that if I probe any more, there's going to be a frustration set in for the client. Okay. Or, or some sort of negative re reaction or resentment. And I feel like I can ride that line pretty well while maintaining positive energy. And once I know I've found that line, and Gabe is quite good at this as well, finding that line and not passing it, respecting the person's decision-making criteria is something you always want to maintain. You don't want to feel make the person feel like you're disagreeing with how they make decisions and that you're trying to like condescend to them. I just feel like I, I guess I can identify that line well, and then I don't cross it. I get right to the cliff point, and then I say, okay, like let's follow up in this amount of time. If you're telling me you can have a yes or no decision by tomorrow or Tuesday at 5 p.m., you know, because because the conversation becomes also about holding the 10 percent, right? Okay, so you feel like the tipping point from systems to intuition is the moment which you feel like the other person is going to start getting frustrated or have some sort of negative emotional response. Is that correct? Yes. And it's about knowing how to set the expectation for the follow-up to be a big deal because okay. you can't just be so, like, Hey, like we'll just talk on Tuesday at five. No problem. Cause when I make it a big deal and then the deals come through, I feel like what people see and conclude is that, Oh, you can just set a follow-up date, keep the 10% and things work out mm, and they okay, don't set it the okay. same way. Yeah. No, I get that. Is there anything else that, and I'm not saying that isn't, there is something else, but is there anything else that may be an indication of that tipping point or anything else that may you mean like anything that? else that could be like consistently noticed across everyone, right? Like basically is there anything else that you want to say on that exact tipping point part? No. Okay. Do you think, so basically, so you've identified two things. So one, there's the identification of this frustration moment. Mm -hmm. And then two, there's an adequate expectation setting as a result of so, like as in if A, then B, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, but you don't believe that point right there is trainable. Is that correct? Yes. So at that's least the real consistently. challenge. Yeah. So, so least, the real. Yeah. 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 Okay. So what? So what do you think the real challenge is there then? <laughs> I, I. The other. The other alternative is that it's my training. I don't know, because you obviously have a lot more like experience in that. I don't know what to fucking drop with you. <laughs> Yeah, just like losing his shit. This is amazing, um, dude. This is, John is coaching Austin and he's doing an incredible job at it. Yeah. And I, I guess like when it comes to me seeing my training as the, like, I always viewed that as a possibility. I don't, I don't necessarily think that I wasn't trying to hold my coaching skill as a constant and saying, oh, that's like as good as it will ever get. 
I'm just like, well, no, no, I'm not, I actually wasn't questioning your training. I, I just, uh, at all, what, what I was maybe just thinking about was that, is that trainable or not? Yeah. Like, is that, cause it, like, cause is it, it, worth cause it seems like you, cause I think we can both agree that you can train the expectation setting. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, as in you could, you could have someone be bad at expectation setting and you could, you could train them to be better at yeah. expectation yeah. setting. Yeah. So then really it's this, it's this EQ thing that we're, that, 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 yeah. that seems to be the real challenge. Right. And that's the bottleneck is how do you have someone, because I can relate to you in the sense that, um, you don't want someone saying, oh, they couldn't make a decision, right? Yes. Merely because they kind of, so are you open to me maybe suggesting something that might, yeah, that might course, also be a challenge? Yeah. Okay. There may be a lack of trust in other people's decision making. And there may also be the possibility of there being some ego involved with your superior judgment. It's possible that you couldn't trust people with this, but it also may be something that's actually just a totally separate thing of like, hey, here's the things that that Austin can train and here's the things that God can train through experience. So you can give them the tool set of, hey, like here's the expectation setting. Here's the systems. There's this one little thing that I can't train you on. This one right. little thing. And here's all of the fears or here's all the things that I worry about is that you might use this as a crutch. And I think that might just be your solution. Yeah, I think you're right. It's just being honest with your sales reps and saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to teach you everything there is to know about this job, but one thing. <laughs> yeah. And this yeah. one thing is so important that I wish there was something I could teach you, but I, I can't. <laughs> you just have to learn it. Yeah. yeah. Right. And it's just a matter of them just being present to this intuition thing. Yeah. So what you're saying is essentially there's no, the, the question was incorrect in the sense that it's not worth determining what's better in the moment systems or in intuition, but rather do what's best for the appointment at all times, no matter who's with you and then communicate the expectations afterwards to in, inform that person. If there's anyone with you that you're training what yeah. you did and how you did it. And that if they were ever in that same situation alone in the future, that they should question, you know, like what I did there using my intuition was based off of X amount of experience. It's totally not okay to not probe further to get the sale. What I did here, I think gave us the best chance of getting the sale, given the circumstances. Given the circumstances. Yeah, I I guess I've done that and it's still like I it's not like I would walk out of a sale with a franchisee or a sales rep and just not say anything, you know, and be like that's just the way it's done, use your intuition, you know. I've definitely had a version of that conversation with people. It's just that I've seen like cuz I was with uh Last week, I was telling you guys, I was with a couple divisions, like four days, and I have mm -hmm. another one, like I, four days, four different locations. I have another one this week, one next week, the week after I've split up the remaining ones over a few weeks where I essentially go to a location and I do what we call it full send days. And we do <laughs> like 
we do like two sub we do like two subcontractor interviews we do three appointments they usually have two job sites going so we check in on their crews talk to their clients do upsells you know try to schedule a few challenging estimates that are large average job sizes a few lifetime roofs um and then usually we'll go out to dinner or do like a fun activity in the in the later part of the day and it's usually done with their business coach so it's a fun day to be with this location and when i was in a location last week i was not doing estimates with the franchisee, but rather the franchisee's two sales reps. So it was like me training the reps directly. So it was kind of like cutting mm-hmm. them, cu- cutting them out of the the, mm-hmm. the the equation. Okay. And what I realized is that these two people are one degree separated from me. Like I don't meet with them every week, right? Like I meet with mm-hmm. the franchisee, then the franchisee meets with them. So it's like the first time I've yeah, it was the first time I've met with these people. Okay. And what I realized is that like I saw, I literally observed the impact of like the broken telephone, mm-hmm. right? Is like, oh, I did an estimate with the franchisee a year ago and that we booked a massive job that came through on a pending. And then I'm talking to one of his, one of his reps a year later and they're like, yeah, we have, you know, like we don't really probe that hard after closing because we know pendings usually come through. And I I wanted to stab myself in the fucking head. I was like, no, that's incorrect. You know? Oh, okay. So I missed the context here. Okay. So then, yeah, keep keep telling me about that. So essentially what I realized is like, a decision that I relied on in terms of intuition at one point mm. essentially got translated 13 times over a year into these two guys' minds. And then they believed it is true, even though what they believe is true is not what I did. But just because of what I did, which was relying on intuition, that's how I'm labeling it. It just showed someone that, well, you don't really have to follow the systems, do you? Right? Because you can still book the fucking job. So then it kind of begs the question, what do you want? Exactly. See, there's what do you want? I want there to be a way to effectively train anyone in the business to sell properly and consistently. Okay. I don't want it to rely on me. I want other people. I want Gabe to be able to train a sales rep. I want I see. Like I want everyone to be able to so train want- a new person, right? Because yeah. literally that's what we're talking about doing. Like I'm bringing on a new sales rep in the fall. Mm. Like I'm hiring for that role. And it's like, well, I want Gabe to train that person. Okay. so then- And then it's like, I actually really like, there's no doubt that Gabe's intuition is perfect. Like it wasn't a doubt of like, it wasn't me questioning Gabe's intuition. It was me having a conversation mm. with Gabe about like, do you use your intuition at all? Right. Okay. So then what do you think the real challenge is there for you? What's well, the same challenges before, right? Well, I, I guess maybe kind of bounce back to the what do you want question because you know what you want to know what I hear? What? I, I hear a need for freedom. For from me? Yeah. Need for freedom. What do you mean by that? Do you feel a lack of control? In, in funny enough no it's actually oh, just it's actually not about control it's really just about figuring out if there is a identifiable line of like what you don't cross when you're with someone training them right like that's that was my root question is there a line that you can identify when you're with someone hey mm. i'm not going to cross this line and go based on my intuition 
strictly based out of my commitment for their development, not for getting the sale. Cause I have two, I have two goals being at this estimate, right? I'm trying to get the sale. I'm also trying to train this person, right? So if I just put all my eggs in the basket of getting the sale, I essentially say, fuck it. I'm going to rely on my intuition here and do the best I can to get the sale. That's good because you would, you could make an argument that Austin doing that for them is going to show them how to get the sale under difficult circumstances, right? But what it's shown me is that no, in fact, that doesn't help and that it creates bad habits down the line. Why is so, it help? Well, I guess it helps maybe in some cases because they see how far you can go and how how you can kind of bend the systems to work to a situation. But the way it doesn't help is what I the situation I just described, which is the game of broken telephone. And then I got two sales reps that I don't know of not really closing very hard. Do you have the sales rep not closing hard? No. But the you. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. No, I don't. I that, I was that was in my language for sure. But yeah, but but do you, but do you see where maybe do you see where I see that that control? Yeah. yeah. No, I see that, yeah. I think that it's more about me. I just have a responsibility to make sure that that franchisee and his entire team. Well, yeah, you're a caring guy. Yeah, it's just about like making sure that I'm doing the best I can and not and not like because look, at the end of the day, like me booking that 15K roof on the spot, like I don't like that's great. If I can book that roof for that franchisee, great. But all I really care about is making sure that that person I'm training at that time is better off yeah. when I leave, right? So then, so is the so is the problem then, it seems like one of the challenges that you may be facing then is that, so you, you are a coach coaching mm -hmm. a franchisee. Mm-hmm. But that franchise is having to coach these two yeah. sales reps. Yeah. And so, but you see it as a, a sales coaching problem. It might be a totally different kind of coaching problem. Yeah, you're right. It might be. It could that's be. A, that's actually know? a really good point. Yeah. It could just be not what I showed the franchisee, but rather the franchisee's like interpretation of how to go. Does the franchisee know what he's leaving on the table by not having these conversations with his guys? Right. No, I, I guess if I were to guess, the answer would be no. But my question is, if I could just have solved that at the root and not have used my intuition at that yeah, time. Yeah, well, you're really hung up on this thing of like this one time, you know, maybe multiple times. Yeah. You didn't yeah. use intuition. It's now a result of these yeah. guys, right? Yeah. It's probably extrapolating out inappropriately. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. <laughs> because, well, Austin... um, you have a franchisee and, and he, you know, it's not, he's, he sounds like a larger franchisee. Like obviously he's got yeah. two sales reps, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he should, you know, he's a coach. And it, it sounds like mm -hmm. he's not coaching his guys properly, but you're, but so you're, because you're, you're overstepping by you becoming these, you're not, you don't coach these two sales reps, man. That's not your role. You so do you the disagree then? Do you disagree with me doing estimates with them? I think that you're robbing one of your franchisees Damn. of a very valuable learning experience. This is shocking. I never thought of that. Yeah. And I think that it creates dependency. I think that your franchisee will become dependent upon your coaching. And I can see frustration in you that you have a lack of freedom as a result. That's my take on it. Damn.
Thank you. Yeah, I see that. Hey, John. You're a really good coach. I appreciate that. Yeah. That was good. I think that I don't really have a clear definition of what my purpose is for those people. Like I have a very clear definition of what my purpose purpose is for a franchisee, right? Like I I'm very clear on that. Yeah. But I do not have an accurate definition of what my purpose is for their team. Like, I think I just, I just literally yeah. like cast a shadow onto their team. Like this is this, this franchisee I'm responsible for. It's like, holy fuck. Now I'm responsible for their whole team. You know, like their team. Yeah, man. I'm just like, I feel the same way. I mean, with Jocelyn and Noah and Brady, right. I mean, I feel this lack of control. And I feel a lack of freedom because it's like, man, like, like I want it like, cause the natural tendency is to just step in and just do it for them. Right. It's to, you know, and no, but it is, it's so tempting. No, I'm, I'm right? laughing at Amber's fucking hand movement. And the tentacles. No, it's so tempting. Right. And, and um, yeah, yeah. it's just not, you know, in, in my opinion, it's just not the long-term mindset that we need to have because really what we're doing by focusing on having the coaching conversations is development, right? So now we're coaching for development, not just coaching for, for performance, because the moment that we just step in and do it for them, now we're just, we're, we're, we're performance-based and yes, performance and results matter, but which ones matter? Like yeah. if, if you're, if your focus is on boosting this year's numbers, everything you're doing makes perfect sense, Austin. Yeah, But if your goal is for more freedom, which I think is what you want and what you need, mm -hmm. and your goal is to have higher revenues five years from now, then it's a different conversation. And I think our emotions and our, you know, our just immediate needs and our, and our arbitrary focus on fiscal calendars of being 12 months or this quarter or this mm -hmm. month or, or this two week payroll, I think a lot of these, um, I think a lot of that becomes noise. Yeah. And I think that those are very important for certain individuals. So for example, your production manager should kind of live in two week, four week intervals, right? Yeah. Your painters should live in one day or one job intervals. But as a leader, I think Austin Trudeau would be much better and would serve his team much better if he was thinking on, because dude, Austin, you're basically the only guy in your business and in the franchisees that, that can actually afford and has the knowledge to think in those types of ways. Yeah. And so really then what, what do you think the impact of, 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 of what do you think the impact is of no one thinking for the long term for your, oh, for your well, franchise? Fucking, you could just name a hundred things and fail. Of course. But then, so then if yeah. you don't do it, who's going to do it? Yeah. No one. Yeah. So then, so then, so then if you don't coach your franchisees to be coaches, right yeah, yeah. That's and that's what i'm struggling with too a, man yeah it's a great point because that that i'd say is probably my biggest shift from student works to rydell like i never coached anybody that had a big enough team that would be, like like yeah, they man. needed to coach their team the same level that i coach my team yeah, yeah i get it damn i wasn't i'd never really seen the uh no one's ever really shown like shine the light on that that brightly i appreciate it
Because hmm. in my head, I look at what Gabe and I have created, and I'm really happy to work with Gabe, and I love working with him. He's great to work with, very coachable, very uh, very good, like very talented salesperson, but also like we just get along, we work well together. Um, and I'm like, oh man, like I want to help create that for my franchisees, for the people on my team. And sometimes I, I, I guess if I look at that more closely, maybe I'm trying to like force that with them, you know, I'm like, Hey, let me do appointments with your sales reps. Like, let me get a better idea as to like how I can try to recreate that for you. But at the end of the day, is that really what is best? I know, right? And that's the, th that's the thing I'm facing with Jocelyn and Noah is that when I look at my calendar, every time I'm tempted to go onto a job site, I'm robbing them of development. Yeah. And I just, and it hurts me because, you know, like I want those results tomorrow. I do, but I just, and, you know, I'm open to being wrong and I just don't think it's the best thing for them as individuals. And then it gets into this broader question of really, why does your business exist? Is it to develop people or is it to, you know, make as much money in the next week or two, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where you get into these more philosophical questions. And I would argue that the businesses that make the most on a discounted cash flow basis are the ones that develop their people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're totally right. And it's easy how you can like uh maybe maybe trick yourself isn't the right word but like i think it's hiding i think it's i you, you, do you remember how your favorite one of your favorite rules was the dragon rule you know like the i think that the i think the elephant or the quote-unquote the dragon in the room is that people what's the what's the dragon person. rule do you want to repeat it quickly no, um go austin go ahead i kind of well, forget it to be honest well basically um, it it's uh i think the rule i think the exact word maybe gabe you could pull up the rule but i think the, the rule is um uh, like basically just like bring awareness to the dragons in the room, right? And, and the story basically goes that there's a there's a boy and a mom and the boy looks under his bed one day and he sees a little a little small dragon. He says, hey, mom, there's a dragon underneath my bed, you know, and so on and so on. He keeps, he keeps drawing more and more attention to this dragon to the point where the dragon gets so large that it literally flies off with the house. And the, and the mom at that point says, holy fuck, a dragon. And the kid's like, yeah, I've been telling you about this whole time, right? And I think that the dragon in the room for most businesses is that coaching conversations for development are just not happening. Well, okay, but I think I so, think so that I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. But I think what we're talking about is not that those conversations aren't happening in our business from us to someone else. It's about how to get those people that we're talking to to have them as kind well. Of, kind of, but but you see, by you stepping in. Yeah. to train which i would say is different than coach train these sales reps in, in one way you could maybe argue that you're you know not not hiding because i i don't i don't mean it to make like you know i, mean? I don't mean it in that way but you know what i'm saying you are bypassing a conversation by doing that that's facts honestly and it's that's fucking true when you put it that way it sounds pretty shitty 
because no, but you're, you're like, not no, wrong. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I'm just, I wanted to help, right? And I'm the same way. Because <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I would rather just go to a job site tomorrow morning and just instantly solve the problem. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like it's like it's you know what I mean it's so because it's like I literally have the fucking answer. Like I could literally drive. You know, I, I don't actually have it in an uh, example tomorrow, but but let's say there was a problem on my job sites. I have yeah. the answer. I could instantly drive there, and I'm absolutely confident that I'm the most qualified and I would instantly solve it way more better than anyone else in my business period except for that it doesn't actually move me closer to my goal yeah of developing individuals and that's the trade-off now in saying that there is sometimes where the trade-off does make sense right like it's you know because there's and then and then, then now this gets into this whole like intuition on top of intuition of when do I you know, when do I know the difference between intuition yeah, yeah, yeah. and, you know, and, and of, of when to do it? But, you know, that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But you yeah, get the point, though. 100%. That's an opportunity that I've seen in my business, at least. And that's why when you were talking about this, I was like, oh, this, you know, this, this sounds just like what I'm going through. Yeah. So. Beautiful. Amber, what are your thoughts? You had some funny facial expressions well, slash. I want to shout out John, because literally three weeks ago, he didn't know how to do any of this. Well, maybe a little, but like. Shout out to John for having this exceptional coaching I conversation. I did more than I thought. Good. Okay. Because cool. Cool. And can mm-hmm. I share on why I think it actually, uh, so one, I think that the number one thing that I had before was I actually do care. And then two, I do know how to pay attention and ask questions. The main thing that I lacked was which questions to ask. And luckily, that's actually the easiest part to learn. Hundred percent. Yeah, very yeah. true. Damn. So I just want to just kind of acknowledge John there because I only utilized four questions there for anyone that was listening. Just four questions. Luckily, I didn't have to ask the first one because Austin had already told us what was on his mind. But then I, all I did was basically cycle through a few techniques. So I was mirroring him. I was asking what else questions and I was asking what's the real challenge there for you. Dude, literally I'm looking at the book. Right. And then, yeah. And then, and I also asked when I felt like we kind of got to a point in the conversation where I couldn't really make any progress with him. What do you want questions? But really it's just a combination of those, those four techniques. And I just kept cycling them, but I was actually actively paying attention. And then I think that we actually got to a point where, I don't know, I mean, I, I actually learned some shit too, which is quite nice. Because one of the things that I, I actually have took for granted in coaching is that you actually can learn with the person. Because it's actually, because one thing I'm actually enjoying about coaching so far is that I actually do enjoy learning. I mean, it's, it's actually one of my greatest passions. And coaching, if anything, is learning with the person in real time. And that's a beautiful thing. Because then you both actually learn what the real challenge is, right? Yeah. Yeah. My coach in Landmark said, okay, let's let's discover like that's the word you use. Let's, yeah, let's discover no, together what what's going on here. Let's let's go. Yeah, let's go pretty, explore. It's a pretty beautiful thing. It's amazing, man. That's why I wanted to do a consulting company because I can just do that all day, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fun. It is um, interesting. Yeah. Like it's almost like there's a like sometimes you just get caught up in a way of thinking that is that is antithetical to those questions right it's like you think you have the answer really quick and it's solvable or you've concluded it right like just almost like the way i approach this conversation it's like i was actually just asking the wrong question right my question was is it systems or is it intuition 
but that was the incorrect question. It was leading me down the pathway of like trying to answer a question that wasn't going to get me any closer to my goal, which is developing the franchise and, and moving the company forward. The question should have been when I'm, when I'm trying to develop a franchise, who am I trying to coach and what is my commitment to those people in the business? Yeah. 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 So you asked for my opinion of what I, what I heard. That's the first thing I heard. Shout out John. Number two is um, I think there were multiple things kind of happening there in your question and kind of John pointed out the most important thing, which is like, if we get as close to the initial conditions as possible and the highest leveraged activity, I think you and John discovered that perfectly, which is instead of coaching the reps, coach the franchisee to coach them. That's the highest leverage activity you could be spending time on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but your question was still unanswered, which is, can you, can you coach that intuition on getting close to the line? And I did hear a couple of opportunities, which is one, I always like to ask myself, what assumptions are we making in the conversation? And I think an mm -hmm. assumption you made is, you said the 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 statement, oh, I like very rarely do I ever go across the line or I don't usually mm. cross the line. I don't believe that. Like so there's sometimes oh, no, yeah, probably right. went over yeah. or something like that. So, but that's a big assumption because we're leading into this whole problem solving that you have the answer, which like you have some of the answer, which kind of takes the load off your back. Right. The statement of saying I go close to the line, but don't cross it. There's actually no way to answer that because like, Correct. Yeah. yeah. But, well, but it's so subjective. Yeah. yeah. Correct. So that was the assumption we both accepted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and then I actually do think that there is a system that can be somewhat created. Like you said, that, well, how do you jump between systems and intuition? Mm -hmm. Well, I think there's certain people in your organization that are required to have intuition and to solve and kind of fall outside the bounds but there's other roles that where you want to kind of minimize that as much as possible roles that are already validated and proven not as most of the time don't really shouldn't actually require a lot of intuition yeah. like you don't want your roofers trying to reinvent the wheel it's like no this is these are this is how you do these things you don't want them to kind yeah. of use their intuition too much so there were a couple of things that I have learned around getting as close as possible to the line or even learning how to cross the line, go back backwards and still save the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and I can go into those things maybe offline or here, but like um, there are things. Well, maybe that... like what's what's the what's the biggest mistake that you see people making in that scenario and what's the remedy? Um. Uh, I think the biggest mistake is being attached and selfish. I think mm. if you, mm. I think, I think if you're unattached and mm. actually making it purely about the customer, uh, me and Joe have actually spent an hour and a half for me, three hours was the most I've ever sat with somebody in that space where they're indecisive. They don't want to make a decision. But because wow, I came from three such hours, a, yeah, th I swear to God, Mark Weaver, it was a four hour call and three hours of objection handling. But the, <laughs> Bro, I would love to see the whoop stats on that. Probably this, not. This was pre whoop. But because <laughs> and this is this is something I train mm, is point. if you come from a place of love, care and unattachment yeah. and you really are showing up on the conversation as a leader you can actually live across the line because yeah. they want you there. Yeah, it's but a very valid point, man. 
Yeah. So there's different ways that you can do and spot this, but the best way, the most important thing is, well, your way of being and your mindset going in to achieve those things I just talked mm -hmm. about. But there needs to be actually something tactical that's implemented within the estimate or bid uh, that plants the seed before the objections. The moment the price is told, there's a lot of things that you can't do that you are given leeway to do beforehand. And this is what I coach my guys. It's called the leadership frame. So there needs to be a moment in the estimate where you take leadership of the of not just like actually take the lead. I'm actually talking taking leadership before the price, before you sit down, where you actually like, no, here's what we should do because this is better for you. John mm -hmm. gives an example of like, no, we actually shouldn't paint this or no, you don't need two coats. We can only get away with one coat. These are like seeds or permission slips that you gain from the customer that actually allows you to gain their listening. So they now know, mm. oh, this person has my best interest in mind and they're showing up as a leader. If that's established, that's an important ingredient to what you need to do after. To get as close to the line as possible, then you basically need to first identify what the real objection is, which is like, in my opinion, is three total, all objections fall into three categories, which are like logistics. It's like, oh, it's not the right time. I don't have the right money. And you should have something in your process that susses mm -hmm. out people where it's not urgent. Like we end phone calls with people if I ask them, oh, like how urgent is this? That's not the exact question. Mm. But if they're like, oh, it'd be nice if we solve this in four months. I'm like, great. We should then talk about this in four months. because a lot. Of I see. So it's like, hey, when you find out in your house? Oh, yeah, no, we want to do it in September. Awesome. Sounds good. Perfect. We'll give you a call in July, right? Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But like, let's say you've done that. You established that throughout. And now you're entering the objection handling and you get an objection. It will either fall into... A logistics thing like i need to get my money right or i need to talk to my wife or something like that two it's around your process so the way you proposed to execute on the roof wasn't agreed upon so like you offered metal when in reality they just really wanted asphalt mm -hmm. so this agreed with the process uh, or like mm -hmm. you're using subcontractors that's a different category mm -hmm. and then the last category is trust which is not actually trusting you it's trusting your process trusting you as a person trusting your roofers, or sometimes trusting themselves to make the decision. Yeah. And we run into that a lot, actually, Trust people trust not trusting themselves. Like, like, or at yeah. least that's my read of the situation. But yeah, yeah no. so the way themselves. that's really helpful. Yeah, just to the, make the decision. Yeah, yeah correct. Yeah, they're just afraid of making a mistake because like on lack. a lifetime roof, it's like they're spending like 40, 50 grand. Like people just get like, there's like, fuck, like, you know, I, I don't want to spend this amount of money. Do I trust myself to make that decision? Is this the right decision? Like, yeah, yeah correct. So if if um, so, then the question is, well, how do you identify that? We kind of all know this. I call it closing the doors, which is when somebody gives you an objection. We all know the formula for handling objections. The first thing you got to do is agree, not because what they're saying is like objectively correct, but subjectively that's the reality. So we have to agree with the reality, um, and then from there through probing, you get to actually figure out what the real objection is. So let's say, oh, I want to sleep on it. I got to talk about it. You get to close doors. So is this the right time? Is this the roof that you want to get done? I'm not going to go through all the, but you basically close doors on all those possible. Interesting. So, well, so then very quickly. So like, and we don't have to go too in depth on this, but so totally you would right. actually, so if someone did, you know, say, Hey, I can't make a decision, whatever you are trying they basically reject your clothes. Right. Yeah. You I agree. Say, hey, just say Crossy, like, is it, so you, you would kind of just go one by one through each of those three categories. I close the doors. And exactly. so it's like, so if, so it's like, Oh, okay. Like, are you still planning on doing the painting this year? And they're like, Oh no, no, for sure. I'm doing the painting. Yes. You're like, okay. So logistics close basically. Right. Or, yes. or that, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, yes. sounds good. So like, 
and you know, and, you know, if the husband and wife are both there, Correct. right, then you know that that's not part of it. So Correct. Okay. And then you would keep going down basically. Correct. And then finally, you know, you get to the point they're like, yeah, no, we're just like, like, we've never spent this kind of money before. You're like, oh, okay. Like this is your guys' first time buying this before. And then like, yeah. So then now, you know, it's, it's they don't trust themselves. Right. And then, and then there's, I'm sure. Not necessarily. Certain... It could be still a logistics things with, with money. So um, oh, I if, see. So then you close one door and then maybe they reopen it back up. Like, well, hold on. But like, what about in here? You know, <laughs> uh, kind, if you close the door properly, it will never reopen. But with the money thing, okay. it could be two things. One, they don't tr- they have the money, but they don't trust themselves. All right, that's assuming they trust you. And then two is they don't know if they have the money. So yeah, if they have I the see. money, if they have the money and it is the right time, you can close them. It's that's just an uncertain window if they have the money. Like that's no, it's, it, but John, that is insane though. And that's, we've ran that's into that a so big many reason. times. It's a yeah. big thing, man, because people like, because with roofing, few people funded out of pocket from their checking account. They literally have to go look if they have the money in an RSP, an account they don't look at. Like some people have the most fucked up financial situations. Like they have a shared account with their father who's like 80 and they pay into this account for the kids who are in their forties. And it's like, you don't even fucking know this, but like I've heard people like, especially with like international family, it's like, Oh, I have a cousin in Switzerland that like, you know, sometimes like sends us money. It's like, what? Like, you know, this just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And so like people literally have to go see if they have the money and they got to go like check. And it makes no sense to me because obviously us three would know like this. But a lot of people don't. Yeah. So anyways, after okay. you close the doors, and here's a little kind of quick tip when you're closing doors, never say the word trust. Just say, hey, do you envision like, do, do you envision me and my team actually working on this project? Or, you know, would you like to have, you know, someone like myself in your corner around this renovation? That's and never say the word trust because you can actually just end up opening a door by accident because then you're like, oh, I don't know if I trust them. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but then once you close all the doors and you can actually isolate the objection, if it's purely financial, you can do something that we call an open wallet where you just, if you have the leadership frame, you basically unlock this pathway of dialogue Yeah, yeah. where it's, you're it's like, a, it's a hard pathway to unlock though. Yeah. But you got to do a yeah. lot of things, but you, if you yeah. unlock it, you can basically say, Hey, Austin, are you open to having like an honest an open and honest conversation about your finances and where you are? Because as you can tell, everything we do here is pretty custom. So I just want to be able to see like, what you're working with so that we can put together something custom for you to make this happen for you. And really what I'm not looking for is like some numbers so I can break the bank. I'm not in that business. I really want to find what's the best option for you. And usually if it's done correctly, you'll get the yes and you can have them open up their bank accounts and credit card statements right there. Holy in front of you. fuck, man, Austin or Amber, you're just on a different level, brother. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, I've just been doing this for like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. So I would yeah, Amber, I've actually you know, so John, done it. Emmer told me about this yeah. open wallet uh, yeah. on the plane. And I literally was like, I couldn't believe myself. 100%. Man, imagine your customers just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, let's 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 dive deep into my bank. I actually here. I've done a fucking uh, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh a HELOC application with a client before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I because it was like this old lady who, and not old, like as in I was fucking taking advantage of her or some bullshit like that. Old as in she was like, hey, I want to buy this. Do you think you could help me with my laptop so I can do the application? I said, sure. 
like i don't know like yeah you know what i mean like she didn't have a fucking tech savvy son kind of thing you know I'm like who do you bank with she's like td i'm like great so do i you know like yeah yeah so <laughs> but again dude, having someone show them your fucking bank account dude. though we we would dude. create like a profit loss statement on the call and then figure out like how much they're bleeding or making per month and then we give them a custom solution but that's because i accomplished a lot of things on the call prior to when we entered the price no no i get that man yeah, i yeah. get that too but yeah. it's totally possible now um a different you, context than painting too i would say well yeah yeah sure but to 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 kind of wrap it up that those are like some some ways that i've kind of learned to do that but you can actually also train getting close to the line one of the things i do not everything i just told you i train the guys and i show them examples of phone calls where i do this stuff if you're not recording estimates then it's like you're just missing out a lot here um but I actually have a body language training that I use with the guys to have, because this is in person and we also do it in Zoom. Um, I actually teach the guys like the basics of body language. When you can tell somebody's thinking, lying, nervous, that helps to understand where you are on the line. Um, and then finally, if you're like, okay, but Amr, how do I train a franchisee to train their people? Well, if the problem you're trying to solve is, I don't think the sales reps are going as far as possible, then you need two things. Number one, you need to actually have recordings of those estimates. So guys yeah, are always 100%. recording in their estimate and you can verify, you can do a quality control of the objection handling where you can see, oh, like, are they actually going the full way? Now, you might say, well, if I can see it, what if the franchisee doesn't see it themselves? How do I get the franchisee to see it well you remember in studentworks at the end of every estimate how your dm told you to fill out like a self-assessment sheet of how the estimate went we have a more in-depth one when you say that oh the reason i can know how to get close to the line while others can't and that's because of your intuition i actually don't like that's true but like if we actually break down what intuition is it's just a sum of like a lot of thinking and experience and if you can do it, you can teach it. And if you don't think you can teach it, like I actually just disagree. You can just teach that. And you There's can also probably a lot component too. Pardon? A lot of what? There's probably also a lot component. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, of, of course. But, no, you but can... I'm saying what someone what what some one person would label as, oh, I made a very intuitive move could have also just been a total fucking like thank you. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. okay. If that's what you're saying. Okay, hundred percent. Um but yeah, if you if you do call if you teach your franchisees how to do call reviews on how to like assess document like have like a you gotta you gotta create like an assessment document where like if you actually break down mindfully why you're able to get close to the line, you'll come to find out that you were able to read body language, that your way of being was correct, that you closed the doors, that you were always agreeing and probing, that you were unattached. You'll find those elements to be existent. And I, and I really doubt that they were missing. So those are the ingredients that kind of get you there. Now, what you don't want to do as a quick tip, if you're like, if you want to train a sales manager, what you don't want them to do is actually send or do feedback. So let's say they're doing quality control. They're listening at an estimate and they're, let's say like you're training like Ben and you want Ben to learn how to get his sales reps to go all the way. You got to like first have Ben see you how you do it. But then once Ben kind of understands how to get close to the line, you got to do estimates with him. 
And then when you're like, yeah. okay, he's because he, they got he's got to start as a sales rep that's fulfilling yeah. your conditions. Yeah. Once he's there, if you want to train him as a sales manager, you got to have him do a quality control call where he records himself on Zoom listening to an estimate front to end with a self-assessment sheet open where he fills it out and does it incomplete. But instead of sending that quality control review over to the sales rep, he sends it to you where you quality control his quality control because what you're doing there is you're assessing his ability to coach and identify the right problems. That is how you can create a sales manager out of your franchisees. Contracting.com. Hammer. Fuck, let's go. It's legit. Contracting.com. I feel I feel mentally refreshed. Yeah, there's some big takeaways there for me. I was blind, but now I see. Thank you guys. I'm typing some of this up. But if you're wondering how I know this, it's it's because like the the consultants I pay because they've done this in their company mm. and they're really good at building SOPs and delegating and building training. And like, yeah, like the guy was able like he's no longer the CEO of his business. He has two people running two different divisions of his company. And I get to talk to them and talk to him to understand what he's been able to do to kind of create these leaders in his company. And a lot of it is just everything. It's coaching conversations. It's never giving them the answer. It's tons and tons of training and development. It's focus obsessiveness over the long term. It's like very cool. It is very interesting. So, yeah. And then I'm also in the lucky position of like a lot of what I do is teach others, but for me to teach something, I got to be like really good at it and understand it. So like when I got Joe on board, I realized like, oh shit, like I have to get so good at sales, which just allowed me to build these things because having Patrick as a business partner, obviously like this guy, he understands delegation at a level that is like, and coaching, like that's literally what he does. So I kind of learned that from him that it's like, Hey man, like you're not special you want to make yourself replaceable. That's what a good like leader is, is like, oh, like an excellent leader is able to just like, if you die tomorrow, the business, you'll have person to fill your role and they can maybe run it even better than you because mm -hmm. you've, you left nothing in your head. It's all been cleared and communicated. Um, because if you're doing something consistently, then you actually have a system in your head. So like if you know how to objection handle and take somebody all the way, you actually have a system. You just need to learn how to articulate it and get it out of your own head. Because just like we talked about the past couple of weeks, like for you to actually get that, well, for, sorry, for all of us to get to where we need to go, we just need people in our businesses that are doing our jobs better than we can, which is actually logical. Or assets. Yeah, or assets for sure. But which is logical because like the reason Gabe is better than you, Austin, at sales is because all he does is sales. He doesn't have to yeah. think about the accounting or the coaching yeah, we, yeah, we or, or the hiring. So 
So yeah, yeah. if you yeah. can get good at the role and then systemize it and train it to one person to just do it, they will have to get better than you. I actually realized too that thing. I'm only really able to sell efficiently and effectively on Saturdays when the business, when no businesses are running, because it usually means yeah, that, your mind is one, yeah, in one mode. I can just I wake it. up and like totally choose to be sales focused for like eight hours and just do it. Yeah. I have like a coaching day now. I have a call review day. I have a marketing yeah, like on day. On Saturdays, I'm not waking up and answering an email or having to make a call to someone. There's no expectation of me on weekends compared to weekdays, you know, with clients or with jobs or with crews or or with Mark or with anything, you know, well, franchisee, sure. But anyway, yeah. Man, you know, sometimes you have a conversation, we have a conversation here on this podcast and it just makes you feel like, damn, fuck, I'm grateful for this. You know, that was, yeah, that was, time, that, that was one of them for me. Yeah. Big time. Very I big appreciate, time. I appreciate you guys. Mm-hmm. So you see, Austin, this is why when you're just scrolling on Snapchat, half chewing an RX bar while walking through the bathroom away from my conversation, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, what's shit. An RX, sorry, what's an RX bar? You keep saying this RX bar. Uh, it's like a pseudo healthy bar that's actually not that healthy. It's just like only four ingredients. You've seen a photo of it. It's it's yeah. pretty healthy. Yeah, it's, it's uh, healthier, but yeah, for sure. Have you guys heard of day squares? Yeah, okay, those are the healthiest, and those are the ones me and James eat. I follow that the owner of that on Twitter. He's like our age, twenty million dollars in revenue. He uh, this is he, RX bar. He was in the yeah. There you go. This one you've seen this right. Okay, good. But yeah, um, uh, Christine, my roommate and friend, uh, was in the same class as the founder of Midday Square. There's three three founders. Oh, I didn't know there was three. I just I, I just had the one guy on Twitter. Yeah, yeah no, it's like two guys like and a, a girl. investor on the side. No, oh. this guy's not a dad. This guy's like our age. Midday Square. No, two so gr- they, no, no two, two, go- two guys and a girl is what I said. Oh, I said two dads. No. Are these things that good? They look good. They're good. Yeah, they're expensive, but yeah, they're yeah. Me and James rock them all the time. They're pretty small, eh? Thirty three grams. They're they're perfect. They're they're perfectly sized. They'll fill you up. Damn. (laughs) One of the ingredients is organic Jerusalem artichoke powder. Oh yeah. Organic Jerusalem artichoke powder. Like Nigerian dwarf goats. <laughs> yeah. I do I do have uh I do have a question here that's like random, but like if you get into an Uber and the driver like sm- smells bad, do you tell them? No. Or what's what's the etiquette there? What's I the don't. right thing to do here? I wouldn't, naturally. Well, Austin, why why would you want to rob him of the ability to improve? <laughs> Yeah. No, I this is why this is a question because I feel it's Bruh, selfish of me. We're not really to tell going, him. we're really going full circle. I, I would say it depends. So it depends on why they smell. It smells like sweat. There's a lot of races of individuals that I wouldn't comment on the smell. That's racist, dude. I no, it's not. Think that's no, it's racist. not at all. No, it's fucking not at all. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> no, the fuck are you talking about? There's, there's like, if, if you cook curries all day, you're gonna smell like fucking curry. Okay, I don't give a fuck what what the hell you think. 
Okay. Whether I'm whether you're black, brown, or white, if you fucking cook curry all day, okay, you're gonna sweat like curry. oil milk, you're gonna smell like that shit. Okay. And that's just it. So I wouldn't comment on that because it's like that's just a lifestyle fucking choice. Right. Interesting. Like get into a guy's car, it smells like <laughs> yeah, right. shit in the back fucking seat. I'd be like, hey yo, just so you know, like this car, like fucking smells like shit, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> Bro. Oh fuck. Yeah. Like if I actually got into a guy's car and I was concerned that I stepped in dog shit and I determined I didn't and it was the car, I wouldn't yeah, no. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I love John's process of elimination though. It makes so much sense. All right, then. okay. That point is checked off. You guys have a U ride out east? No. Um, you ride. Here's a uh, here's another question. We can maybe wrap up with this. Um, but I'm in an interesting position where. <laughs> what? Thanks, John. Okay, I'm in an interesting position where I I'm trying to figure out what's the best. Uh, dude, what's going can on? Can I pause you? Okay, yeah, of course. Right now. Like just very specifically, this in the exact moment, Austin looks like Todd Co- uh, Combs. Todd Todd who? Combs. Who's that? He's the CEO of uh, Geico. Like, don't change anything about. Oh you, come you know? on, bro! That guy's fugly. Jesus Christ, dude! What, 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 John's really doing me dirty here. Yeah, kind of, man. <laughs> Kinda though, Bro, right? Come on, <laughs> <laughs> come on, <laughs> dude! You guys are the worst. Is well, this I mean, actually? One, you look less like the first photo. If you go to Google Images, like click on the actual images, like there's good photos of this guy. Like I mean, I'm sorry that there's one bad photo at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, like. Like that, like that photo right there with the red tie, like that, like right now, like Amber, like like Austin, like have like a like have put that same smile on, like a wide kind of like cheeky smile. Like you look like him right now. Yeah. Yeah, I see it. That's fucked. I did not know I looked like this guy. Well, like I, I don't, I don't think he's ugly. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, he, he he's got like. He kind of looks, looks like, like his face got pulled apart in the wrong direction a little bit, but he does partially look like a ghoul from Fallout Three. Yeah, his face was pulled into billionairehood. Yeah, but I look not, like that too. He's dude. not a billionaire. Oh, okay. But he's not ugly, so he looks like a. I was looking at these things, seeing how much they were. Austin, I hate okay, how many so tabs you way. have open. I yeah, just need to express myself. Absolutely disgusting. Okay, so I um, can't do that. Amber, sorry, I interrupted your question though. I do want to hear it. It's a simple question. Um, we've delivered some exceptional results to some clients and they want to work even further with us. And so we're now doing like one-on-one coaching, kind of like a district manager model. And I... Never. Pardon? You said never? No. You say you're never doing one-on-one coaching? No, no, we are. We're starting to. Oh, okay. So I, I thought I heard the word what never. What the heck? Keep going, keep going. Keep going. No, I, I'm in. I'm in this position now where it's like, okay, well, how do I structure payment for one-on-one coaching? 
And I think the most ethical way is saying, hey, look, John, I see an opportunity to actually like get you some ROI by us being more involved one-on-one. And here's some of the things that you get by having us- By ownership in the business. No, no, no. Just relax. Here are some things that I see as opportunities to help you in your business. Um, Instead of signing up for like 12 months and paying us up front for 12 months or six months or three months, let's just go month by month, cancel whenever. The moment you feel you're not making a, a good, decent ROI while working with us, stop the service. That's what I'm kind of leaning on, but I can also- A better see... business model would be to say, look, at, we want your commitment, but we also want you to have freedom. So pay for the entire year up front and at any point you can cancel and we'll prorate it. And then what you do is you invest in short-term treasury bills in the meantime. Oh, we want commitment. Whoa, dude. How'd you come up with that so fast? Well, it's just float. So you'd go I, for I'm the for I'm allergic to accounts receivable. Yeah, I agree. I hate accounts receivable. So you'd go for the year up front and then if they cancel to get their money back or whatever they didn't get coached. Prorated. Prorated. What's yeah. prorated mean? Like you would just divide by 365 and then if they've used however many days that like so for example i'm just going to say let's say your coaching program is a hundred thousand dollars okay divide by 365 is 273 dollars per day so then if they stuck around for exactly three months so 90 days then you would charge them twenty four thousand six hundred fifty seven dollars 53 cents and you'd refund the rest oh yeah okay that makes sense so basically what you're doing is you have you know the hundred thousand dollars up front i'm just hypothetically $100,000 up front, you keep it into a holding account and basically, uh, you know, keep it in short-term treasury bills where, you know, and you just have some sort of payment terms and be like, Hey, if you cancel within, you know, 30 days, we will have your money back to you. Like, you know, so that's, that's you know, or what, if, it is. what if it's a hundred thousand dollars a year, but they don't have a hundred thousand. Do you finance it in three, for example? I think that, I don't know. Um, personally, uh, I think that the people that would be going for the next level, um, assuming they've done that first level, I think that I think logically you would want to have that second level only be available if you like through like full upfront purchase. And yeah. I think only because it's a second tier thing, like fine, like if your initial funnel needs to get financed, but like if your coaching program works on the front end, then the second thing they should be able to afford, like just cash. Cool. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's kind of what we're finding. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. I mean, that's more cash up front. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm excited for next call. You know why? Why? Quarterly meeting. Oh, you're right, dude. Q2. Is it? Uh, oh, man. Fucking Isn't that? Yeah. Didn't that go gotta, by? I got to file of my fucking GST. <laughs> okay, boys, I got to jump here, unfortunately. No, it's good. I think I'm going to go grab some food as well. You guys feel complete? I feel very complete. complete. This was an amazing conversation. All right, guys. Bye. Have a beautiful ha- time. Happy Sunday, everybody. Good See night. You. Hey listeners, thanks so much for tuning in this week. As usual, you can find us on Instagram at the weekly call pod or through email at the weekly call pod at gmail.com for any questions or comments about any of our material and just to kind of pick our brain or even challenge us on a few things we said today. The intro and outro music was brought to you today by William Scott Thompson. You can find him on Spotify under that name. He has a lot of other great material on there that you can go listen to as well. Thanks so much for tuning in this week, guys. We'll see you soon.